Welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we have a special guest. What? <laughs> this is our fourth, fifth special guest? Well, I mean, are we counting Brian? <laughs> no. That sounds terrible. Let's not count Brian. This is my uh, good friend and another comic in Atlanta, Julie Maritek. Hi. I like the special part of special guest. <laughs> More well, than the guest are. part. Yeah, I like being special. You are. I feel special being here with you guys. I'm so excited. Yay. And so Julie and I have known each other for, has that been about a year? Probably, yeah, a year. Maybe a little longer. But yeah, roughly a year. And I was telling Chris this earlier. I forgot that we, so we met doing our friend Amy's comedy show. Mm-hmm. We were in the green room and how we kind of bonded was we started talking about spooky stuff. Because mm-hmm. you were telling me, telling me about how you went to, was it the Claremont Hotel? Yeah, I went to the uh, Claremont Hotel um, last October, and they had uh, a promo for the month of October where if you spent the night there, they made a room up to look like The Shining. So they had, like, red rum written on... Hi, Rowan. The That's My Cat <laughs> saying hello There's to everybody. There's always cats around when we record, so <laughs> yeah, this actually true, makes yeah. us feel very okay. Oh, good, okay. Yeah. He, uh, he wants to feel part of the show. I think I've actually gotten bitten on the podcast once. <laughs> yes, yes. By Kristen? Well, or a cat? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I love spooky stuff. And yeah, that's how we bonded. We started talking about how much we love horror films and scary things. I think and- we decided that night we're going to do a Halloween show. Mm-hmm. And we actually are. Yeah. If anyone in Atlanta is listening, Julie and I are hosting a Halloween-themed comedy show. Yeah. It's going to be at the Church Annex down in Edgewood, 8 p.m. We're going to have Halloween candy. And the date is October 24th. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, just come there anytime. We'll be there the whole month of October. <laughs> We're like ghosts. You don't know if we'll be yeah. there. We won't be there. Yeah, October 24th, the Thursday, 8 p.m. Um, it's going to be really fun. Julie and I are going to be dressing up. Mm-hmm. Hopefully other people will be dressing up. Have you yeah. decided what your costumes are? Or are yeah, some surprises. Oh, okay. We'll tell you off air. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and we handpicked the comics who sort of have darker material. The show's called Dark Dark Material, mm-hmm. and so the comics have darker material, darker personalities, so, you know, they fit well. All right, so first, we're going to start before we get into The Shining. I know, Chris, you have lots and lots of notes. <laughs> yeah, and we don't have to get to all of them, don't worry. But <laughs> Rowan's looking at your notes. Watch out. He's going <laughs> to steal them all. Yeah. This is a big movie, so it's hard not to... Oh, also, before we... Uh, Julie also, I don't know if I told you this, she runs a show at a cat cafe. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell, talk, you have to talk about that. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Hold the podcast. <laughs> Do you like cats? Yeah. Well, I have, I have a cat. You have a cat. It's my first cat. And, 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 and you have he, four. You have four cats? He, I, now I have three. Oh, you have three. Okay. You had four for a minute. Yes. I just... We fostered one and found it at home. Got yes. it. I but, love cat people. Yes. Okay. Chris has one cat, yes, but he loves this cat so much. I One time... 
took care of it, and it was a full page of notes how to take care of it. So I know it's very special. Well, I thought it was mostly just how to avoid getting hurt. (laughs) What's your cat's name? Cassie. Cassie? That's adorable. I love cats. Like you said, I've had Rowan now for 14 years. He's my buddy. Uh, But yeah, I run a uh, show at uh, Java Cats in Grant Park, and the show is called Cats and Laughs. Very original. (laughs) Um, And it's every, every month. And Every the last Thursday of most months. This Thursday, yeah, until, I mean, this month is a little different because of Halloween, right? But yeah, the the holidays it's going to be on a different day, but it's still going to be the last week because Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas all are oh, around yeah. the last Thursday. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, again, we have a Facebook page called Cats and Laughs Comedy. You can find us on Facebook um, and Instagram, and it's a super fun show. Comics love it. The audience loves it. And the cats, uh, the love, cats it. love it. They're always in the window, and all the cats are adoptable, so it's pretty cool. It's so much fun. Where do they get the cats from? I've always wondered that. Do they just wander in? So, <laughs> yeah, they just stand in their little suitcase, and they're like, meow, I want a cappuccino. Um, they partner with animal organizations in Atlanta, so it's pretty cool. I love it. It's a perfect show. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I've been waiting to do that. We'll just end on that note. All right. So, Chris, before we get into The Shining, let's talk about what we've been watching. Um, Well, this is slightly on brand for me. So, this week, and I warned you about this, I finally got... Oh, no. (laughs) I got in the mail from Amazon the Blu-ray of Stephen King's The Stands. Do you Mm -hmm. remember the miniseries Mm -hmm. from 1994? Mm -hmm. That's my favorite thing ever. Okay. So... I I told you. I saw the text. All I saw was the the text that said, what do you worry? I'm sorry. Yeah, I apologize. This just arrived, <laughs> and I knew exactly what it was. I said that I said he got the stand. <laughs> now let me ask you: Do you like it because it's great, or do you like it for the nostalgia factor of but watching it? As I a think kid? it's generally. I mean, I was wondering how it would hold up when I watched it, which mm-hmm. I did, I guess, last week in like almost one night. But um, even though it's six hours long, uh, but no, I think it holds up. I mean, it's dated. It definitely has horrible special effects. But, I mean, it has good actors, as, you know, Rob Lowe and Molly Ringwald. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's basically yeah, the Brat the pack. best of the best. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Sinise. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. You, you won't stop with the Gary Sinise. Right. Um, so, when I was when it came out, you know, it was a huge deal, and it was, like, my favorite thing ever. And I think I watched it before I read the book, for sure, because, you know, it was only, like, 13 or 14. Um, so, I was very excited to see they were finally releasing it, like, in high def, uh, you know, on Blu-ray and, mm-hmm. you know, where it actually looks good. Because I had an old DVD, but you can't even watch it on your TV because it, it just fucks up somehow. It doesn't look right. Um, so it was amazing. <laughs> it was, and the reason I bring it with Kristen is because me and Kristen had a legendary night <laughs> about 20 years ago where I made her stay up all night with me <laughs> and watch, if not the whole miniseries, you know, maybe three-fourths of it, which, again, is six hours long. Yes. Um, so we saw, I got off at work. I think I remember still smelling like coffee, like in my cafe clothes. Yeah. Like nine thirty, Chris is like, let's pop this in, and then around three a.m., Chris, can we please stop? No, so we are going to try to re, like redo that. So where we start it, and we'll check in like every hour and see how tired I am. Yeah, and see so how mad I am at you. I guess I have nothing really interesting to say about it, but if you're a fan of that mini series, it is. It looks great on the high def thing. It's on Blu-ray. It's. Um, yeah, we'll have to do a special episode for it sometime. It has the behind the scenes feature okay. from like nineteen ninety four. Are they redoing it? They are, yeah. I think that's why they released it, because uh, CBS All Access, the streaming thing, is redoing it um, with uh, 
Josh Boone, who did like the Fault in My uh, the Fault in Our Stars that movie. Oh, okay. I don't know. Apparently, it's like his passion project, so that's good. I uh, uh, I I not to detour, but I feel the same exact way about the 1991 It miniseries. Yeah, yeah. You know, as much as I enjoyed seeing the new chapters from 2017 and 2019, that 1991 miniseries. I love it. And it's the same thing. It's, the special effects are terrible. Oh, God, yeah. But I still love Tim Curry's Pennywise. And it's still... I watched it recently. And, I mean, it still holds up. I mean, the fashion is horrible. But, you know, it's still great. And, again, it's that nostalgia factor for me. I have not seen it in so long. I found it at Kroger for, like, five ninety nine. And so <laughs> Yes. It was, like, in their Halloween section. Their it's aisle. <laughs> And I still haven't seen Chapter 2. Brian, like, horror-shamed me the other day. He How was so? like, why have you not seen It Chapter 2? I thought you would, like, stop everything and try to plan that. And I was like, it's a three-hour movie, Brian. Yeah. How, when do I have the time? He's like, I thought you go when the kids were at school. It's like, you think I didn't try to figure that out? But the earliest showings at, like, 11. I can't get home in time. I tried. I still haven't seen it. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I texted you that I was yes. at the theater watching it. I didn't know that you hadn't seen it yet, or else I would have invited you. I had no idea. I know. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that one, but that's probably for another podcast. I need to see it again to fully digest that movie. So, um, anyway, I recommend it. Watch it. And I'm excited for the new miniseries. Okay. What have you been watching? Well, I was going to talk about the new miniseries that was on Netflix, The Unbelievable. Oh, okay. I've actually seen that, so it's good. I've seen it, too. Okay, good. And I watched it very quickly. Because once it starts, you kind of don't want it to uh, stop. What's What's the girl's name? Caitlin Deaver? Right, she's from Booksmart, and she's amazing. I know, when it yeah. first started, I was like, no, she has to be happy and dancing. <laughs> she has and... to be your best friend. Oh, my god, Your gosh. high school best friend. She had I such know. a different role in this movie, which she's really so shows good. her acting chops. It oh was amazing. Gosh. Yeah. You really just felt all of her pain. It was so good. And Merritt Weaver was just amazing. Mm-hmm. How was her voice, like, so soft and soothing? I was telling Chris, I was like, I want her and Mark Ruffalo to be in a movie together, which with their soft calming voices you probably wouldn't stay awake oh that'd be great yeah. well you should probably tell the <laughs> listeners what the show's about you know no. tr- the trigger warning because i mean yes. you don't want to just i mean it's a pretty tough show yes it the is first scenes all together you know yes it's it's very tough it's like i think last time i talked about um when they see us i'm just like bringing everything down <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well so this is a true story about a girl who was raped in her in her apartment someone broke into her home and she reported it and then somehow um, it got turned around on her. The police didn't believe her. People around her didn't believe her. And she ended up going back on her story. And it's so... Can you imagine if they told this story and it never got resolved like for her? If that never had happened and she carried that with her? I just can't even imagine. So I'm, I'm glad that they got it resolved. But I wonder how many people this has happened to where there was never an answer. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because of that, I mean, I guess this isn't too much of a spoiler, but I did love the last episode because my I, I assumed going into it that it would not be resolved, for, you know, at least for her. Mm. That was just my sort of... I maybe need to edit that then. So people don't know the ending. Uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, good point. But but no, I mean, the, the journey made it worth it at the end when it was like, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a happy ending, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's good that she was she got some justice. Yeah, uh, I mean, you have a sense of closure at the end. I, I knew it was... Resolved only because I listened to the the NPR did a story about it, and you know I watched it. It was obviously an an intense watch. You know, 
you have to kind of be prepared for it. But it's really a, a you know, to me, it was a series that was a champion of women. You know, the female oh, detectives, yeah, the, female detectives. Mm-hmm. the female victims, you know, and their story. And I think that that was really one of my takeaways. I think that had it not been these two female detectives on the case, I don't know that it ever would have been resolved. Yeah, I, I mean, normally my go-to would be like Tony Collette forever, give her all the Emmys. Um, but no, but I, I think I, I prefer I mean, Tony Collette was a badass. Like, no, there is no sure, question yeah. about it. But also, it did seem like she was playing that part a little heavy. Is that oh, I hate to say that, but it just seemed like she was. I don't. I didn't buy it completely. Merritt, I like. That was probably a fairly easy role for her to play. Is kind of what you're probably saying. Whereas Merritt Weaver was a little more complicated. I mean, yeah. I mean, she put some depth into it later, like when she, you know, talks to her husband about it. And I read an interview with both of the the, the real life detectives, and it was. I mean, it's very much like they were portrayed in the in the miniseries. That mm-hmm. was really interesting. I think about daily the scene where she uh, dresses down the sort of junior officer because he hadn't called. Uh, he was being lazy somehow, and she gives this great speech about, oh, we can do it this way if you want, and it's mm-hmm. like, I just want to be that boss every day in my oh, life. Oh, yeah, that, that was great also, because then they didn't show him later, like, bitching behind her back or anything. I mean, he, like, tried to do better, yeah, and he, yeah. he tried to present her with the stuff, and he was very proud of himself, and it, it showed mm-hmm. that he respected her. It wasn't like she, they didn't try to portray it as, like, everyone thought she was a bitch. Mm-hmm. She was um, someone who they looked up to. I think something that stood out to me, too, was... You know, you really see in the main character's story how the system as a whole fails her. Mm. It's not just, her story doesn't just begin with her rape, right? It begins with her in the foster care system. And that has failed her. Mm -hmm. And adults have failed her. And now the police are failing her. And her new foster mom pretty much failed her. I mean, it was just so tragic and you can just tell why she felt so alone and isolated yeah but you, then you see her be able to move forward still mm-hmm. i mean i couldn't do that yeah and she be, she finally kind of found her voice at the end and mm-hmm. was like no like this isn't okay i'm not gonna be taken advantage of anymore yeah. you know and i thought that was really powerful i loved it but yeah and that's also interesting because we were talking about American Psycho recently, and I was kind of like trying to be like, "What the? What is the psychology behind this guy? He doesn't. Most serial killers have a type, you know. They like white girls with dark hair, and then it's like in this, he was one of those that it didn't matter. It mm-hmm. was just a woman, like Tony Collette said, just a woman who lived alone. There was no other way to profile this guy. He, I mean, he had his particular things he did, so it was weird. they were able to, you know, find out who it was. But how scary is that? Yeah, he was just like, it doesn't matter. I think one of my favorite things about um, how it ended anyway was when um, the serial rapist you know, wants to tell a story uh, to that, uh, you know, that, the cop. And Tony Collette and Merrick Weaver are kind of just singularly uninterested in like why he does these things. Mm-hmm. They've caught him and it's like, your story is not that interesting. I mean, they kind of pay, they yeah. watch the video a little bit, but you can tell it's just like not really why they're there. and. I thought that was kind of a nice reaction. Like, you know, it's yeah. not really his... It's, that's not the point of the show. We don't care why you're doing these shitty yeah. things. Like, I mean, he deserved the platform to right. tell his story. And I also liked at the end how they showed him having to strip down and get his hair plucked and stand there naked. Yeah. And the that, same way he she did. Right, but yeah. also, it's like... But the only reason she had to do that was because of him. It just made me so so angry, which is, you know... Well, I thought it was a nice... It was a nice mirroring, though. I mean... The, it was, but yeah. it's just like... But the only reason... So that's great that he has to have that happen to him. But the only reason she had to have it happen was because 
because he's evil. Anyway, it was awful. But yeah, it was a great story. It's a great show. I loved it. Yeah. And it's an important story. Hello there. Kristen here. Thank you so much for listening. We want to invite you to come join our Facebook group. Sometimes groups are better. There are a lot of cool people in there. We talk about the movies Chris and I review, new horror movies coming out, true crime, pop culture. It's really fun. We would also be so grateful if you would go on iTunes and subscribe and rate and review or subscribe on whatever podcasting app you use. It really helps us to be seen by more awesome people like you. And we want to continue to build this great community. Also, follow us on Instagram at Sometimes Dead Podcasts. We'll post pictures of the drinks we're drinking or pictures of the true crimes we're doing. While you're there, follow Gabby Watts, who does our amazing theme song. Follow her band at Gabby Rots, G-A-B-B-I-E-R-O-T-T-S. And remember, sometimes dead is better. So, Chris, what are we drinking? Okay, so finally we had a fairly easy one. Usually we have to do a lot of reaching to we you know to find some drink that links to the, the movie. And there's been some pretty big stretches. Uh, <laughs> I think the the Tito's Vodka for... Um, the Texarkana Murder one. What is that movie called? Oh, my God. <laughs> the Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, we put, you know, that was a Tito's Vodka episode simply because there was a punch bowl that maybe Tito's Vodka was put in. It was, no, the know. one that was the worst, I think, was when I got peanut butter and jelly beer because <laughs> we were doing one about, we were doing Pet Cemetery and there was kids in it. And you were like, oh, because kids eat food. Okay. <laughs> Wait, how was the beer? That sounds so good. Oh, it was so good. Oh, I like it. Where'd you get it? Total Wine. Mmm. Check that out. Total Wine. <laughs> So uh, this episode is The Shining. The movie is about alcoholism. So I'm glad that we're respecting that by drinking. Um, but, That's the only reason I'm here today. <laughs> but, uh, oh, actually, Chris, this is actually an intervention. Oh, wow. You. Wow. That'd be yeah. amazing. Um, <laughs> so uh, Jack Torrance famously, uh, halfway through the movie, goes to the, the bar. He meets Stanley. Because he, he is sober. He is sober. But he decides Time. to fall off the wagon. Uh, and he drinks. Uh, he orders... Um, from the ghost bartender, <laughs> um, bourbon on the rocks, and I think he does the two fingers. So we got Kentucky straight bourbon. It's called Eagle Rare. Am I reading that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian said, "Make sure I bring it back because it's nice bourbon." Yeah, it that is. He deli- never drinks. Yeah. But. And we are drinking it on the rocks. Um, yes, it, it is, is really deli- good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two of us have Harry Potter cups, but that's the only real <laughs> difference. I have a Harry Potter cup too. Yeah, I said two of us. No, and truly. Oh, three of us have Harry Potter cups. Okay. I, 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 I can only see those. It's a set of four, duh, it's four houses, so I, we have three here. <laughs> such a Slytherin ending. Um, I'm, I have the Ravenclaw glass, but yeah, it's delicious. I mean, it's five o'clock somewhere, so right. it's good. I think it's literally five o'clock here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it's actually five it's o'clock. literally five o'clock. On the dot. Cheers. Cheers. Woohoo. Cheers. To insanity. Mm. Yeah, that is good. Because like I did, when I did my... Um, Audition for Patrick Bateman. I, I got like a two fingers of whatever. I don't know what I got, but it was it was like that High West whiskey that was in there, and it was just I couldn't sip it. It was just insane. Okay, so The Shining, nineteen eighty. Yeah. So I guess we I should, was not um, born yet. Uh, I was. Uh, so thanks for that. But <laughs> I guess we should uh, talk about why we're doing this movie. I understand this was uh, our guest choice. I mean, yes. is that correct? 
So a uh, good call. Why did you decide to, why did you want to be on the show to do this episode? I guess is how we should maybe get into it. Yeah. Well, I love horror. So really any scary movie, I would have been honored to have been here. I believe when Kristen and I met, we started talking about The Shining. Mm-hmm. That was one of the first things we talked about. And we both were like, oh my gosh, it's one of our favorite movies. You know, not even just scary film, but yeah. just film in general. You know, so I was like, if you ever do The Shining, I would love to do it. And so... Here we are. I just oh love the we movie. made it happen. We made yeah. it happen, which is That's pretty great. awesome. Well, something that we also talk about that we can ask you is what was your first scary movie that you remember watching as a kid? Or like the first thing that like scared you? Could it be a book or or maybe just scary stories someone told you at school? Besides your face. Um, <laughs> Burn. What? <laughs> no, really. The answer is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Really? That was, I was really young. I mean, I think, you know, you and I were born, you were born 81? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was born 81. So I was really young when I yeah, watched we're, it. We're very close in age. We all are. Yeah, I mean, I'm you're close. Like, you're, like, you're like one year behind right. us. I'm sorry. <laughs> Old man over here. <laughs> I just loved that movie. Even as like a kid, I just, you know, for some reason I never got scared by it. And I just thought it was so awesome. Oh, you're dead inside. I am dead inside, <laughs> and I go places in my dreams. But it was just awesome. And I, that was really the film that got me to fall in love with horror movies. And, I mean, still to this day, you know, I have such love for those 80s and 70s horror movies. Halloween, mm-hmm. you know, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of the trifecta of yeah. those films. That's definitely Yeah, a- that's what we talked about, too, like in our first episode. I think it's also just our age, too. Mm-hmm. And the time that these were coming out, mm-hmm. and then there were just so many of them too. Mm-hmm. You could not avoid them. I do kind of wonder what are the horror movies that are sort of seminal for the kids coming up now? Like, yeah, I yeah, mean, Hereditary, surely not. No. <laughs> you can't <laughs> yeah, watch that. When you're 10. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I definitely connect with those films. I actually watched uh, the original Child's Play last night, oh, okay, really? which was super fun to rewatch. I bet I haven't seen that movie in years, uh, so that was that was super fun to rewatch. Yeah, my remote definitely hovered over that on Amazon or whatever it was recently. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it in I bet like twenty years, and I mean parts of it were still scary, and lots of it was still was you know super dumb, but it was so fun to just watch it. I think the killer doll thing. I mean, it's like all due respect, but I, that can just, I just never really frightens me. It's like it's a little doll. Like, it, and yes, it may kill you, but still, I would. I mean, it just doesn't. It's not oh. one of those tropes that frightens me for some right. reason. Right. Well, both of my kids are very scared of dolls coming to life, and that's the kind of stories they tell at school. And it seems to be a big thing. So Adam recently was really scared of that. His friend Beverly told him a doll came to life and was holding a knife, and so he couldn't sleep. <laughs> And I, I mean, told that him, is terrifying. I was like, well, you know, they're all just made up stories. They're not real. They, the reason they tell the stories about the dolls is because dolls are really boring. They don't do anything. You have to dress them. You have to play them. You have to make them look, you have to make them talk and stuff. So I tried to make them feel better, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it did. So you have your little shining girls there, mm-hmm. the little twins. I got you the um, little set of the, do they have a name in the movie? They're, this is the Grady twins. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because I, mean, I guess it was the... The innkeeper, it was his daughters. His kids, yeah. yeah. No, I love these shiny dolls. They're on my bookshelf, and I have them in the packaging. They're just super awesome. I love how creepy they are. I think we also bonded, because I told you how I went to a bar in Cincinnati that was, like, Shining-themed, mm-hmm. and um, that was really cool. So they had, like, the... It was, like, the, it's called the Overlook. They changed the whole sign outside and everything. They changed it 
um, regularly for like different themes. That's cool. Yeah, it was really fun. And they had like all the drinks were shining themed. That was fun. And with Amy. I was super jealous of that. I think you sent me some photos of it. Yeah. Have you all read The Shining Book? Like, I'm trying to figure out. Yes. Okay. I read yeah. it a long time ago, though. But I remember that was a book that really scared me. And I think we talked about this before. This is the book in the movie, I mean, in the TV show Friends, that scared Joey so much she had to put in the freezer. Right, yeah. And then he gave it to Rachel, and it scared her, so she had to put it in the freezer. Uh, so I remember it really scaring me, especially the part when he goes into room 237 and the old lady's in there. I remember that being very terrifying. Yeah, I think... Um I agree. You said that this is one of your favorite movies, period, not you know, not even being a horror. And I think I'm kind of the same way because this is like it's Stephen King, but it's also Stanley Kubrick, mm-hmm. who's like my favorite filmmaker, mm-hmm. probably, like ever. Like, he's amazing. <laughs> um, so why I don't watch this daily, I don't know, because it really is right up there. But, um, but one of my favorite stories is, um, and this may be like apocryphal, but, but how Stanley Kubrick even picked this project. Have you all heard this story? Uh-uh. I've heard bits and pieces of it, but well, I don't remember the whole Well, supposedly, thing. what's been, the rumor is, I mean, this is, I think Stephen King heard this himself, was that Stanley Kubrick was just going through piles and piles of manuscripts, just trying to pick his next project, because he was, he was bored, and, you know, he's like the greatest living filmmaker at the time, so he can do whatever he wanted, and, um, and so in the next room, he was in, like, a closed office, and the next room's assistant or whatever would just hear, like, him open a manuscript, and then, like, it fly against the wall or something, mm-hmm. and he, go on the next one he like threw it across the room and then finally they just heard silence and he walked in and you know he'd been silent for like 30 minutes and the first manuscript that caught his attention was The Shining and this would have been like the, the book the galley of the book so that's pretty you know that must have been very encouraging to Stephen King to, to hear that because back then he was a very young writer this but then a- so but then when Stanley Kubrick did make the movie I mean it's kind of known that Stephen King did not like his right. movie mm-hmm. and I have so many theories about that oh but it kind of links into it. I think Stephen King was super flattered that Stanley Kubrick, who again at the time was the greatest living filmmaker, mm-hmm. picked his project to, well, yeah, you know, sure. to like elevate and, yeah. and and to work on. But I think at the same time he was maybe I think I think it's as simple that his feelings were hurt that he changed it and maybe was uh, I think maybe Stephen King feels he was maybe dismissive of some of his material in the book, mm. which uh, I mean you kind of. That kind of makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, it's unclear if it's even a straight-ahead horror movie. It is a very way. a lot of psychological stuff, and and also, I mean, when it came out, it wasn't the best reviewed movie either. It wasn't nominated for any Oscars. It wasn't nominated for any Golden Globes. So I'm sure Stephen King was like, "See, nobody mm-hmm. likes it." It got it got Razzie awards. Did it really? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think you can watch. There's a there's an angle on the movie where you can almost watch it as him as Stanley Kubrick. I mean, kind of making fun of the material a little bit. Like in the way he presents Wendy, for instance, as sort of this kind of very meek, weak kind of, uh, I'm not sure what it's like, almost just just this stereotypical just uh, wife from hell almost, mm. especially from Jack's angle. Where in the book, you know, she's much more of a normal, uh, I mean, she's a very strong character in the book. She's not at all like that. So I think maybe Stephen King sees this and he's like, is he making fun of me? Is he like mm-hmm. like taking my characters and like sort of twisting them to where they're like just kind of cliched? horror movie characters almost like he's commenting on the material itself Stanley Kubrick is that he might do that he's just mm-hmm. that yeah kind of but a, Stanley Kubrick is he known to be like a misogynist a good question it, so that's that's I have this whole other thing about that like okay. is, this, is this movie misogynistic or is it commenting on misogyny which we can kind of get into but then it's also I mean the grueling hours that he made them work and so many takes that Shelley Duvall had to take 
I mean, was that was her performance just a um, reaction to that? Yeah. And not necessarily like the way he was directing her. Maybe she was exhausted, and so she was because she's like kind of like flailing around and loosey goosey with her knife and stuff, you know. So. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely okay. get into it. But I think I, I, I would just my theory is that he he got the performance he wanted out of her one with the other one with the other, and right. it's kind of a good performance. It's just I it mean, took, it's memorable. It took a yeah. while, I think, for people to. That was one of the Razzie awards. Really? Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Poor Shelley Duvall. Well, I think it took a while for people to kind of see it differently. Yeah. Like, um, are you in a horror movie or are you in Popeye? Like, it's sort of the same olive oily. <laughs> oh right, right. You know, kind I mean, of it is character. I mean, like. Someone who she's not conventionally attractive, obviously. Mm-hmm. How did she get involved in these big movies? It's very interesting. But also the way she's presented. I mean, this is on the background right now. She appears to be wearing a turtleneck <laughs> under a what is that? I don't and know. A jumper point, and yeah, yeah, she's I wearing mean, like a corduroy jumper. She's, I mean, they dress her like that intentionally. I right. Mean, it's not like she well, just her, and her hair is especially yeah. stringy and yeah. yeah. So I feel like the colors trying, on her clothes are very muted. Yeah. Yeah, I just noticed. I mean, she's just wearing the worst possible outfit imaginable. But I think part of that is just like playing off of sort of That's so good Jack's and kind Shh, of okay. watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> We're, this whole podcast is not talking; it's us just watching The Shining. Well, you think Jack like looks kind of cool? Is, I don't know. That's how I always kind of. He's he looks like a cool writer. And, he's like a cool, right. you know, writer. I mean, Shelley Duvall's outfit's also sort of youthful with the overalls, which is sort of a reflection of her son, right? Like connecting with oh yeah her kid mm-hmm. and like kind of trying to save him. So that's how I always saw her clothing. I'm with you though, Chris. Like I love Stanley Kubrick. I took a class in college about Kubrick, mm, and awesome. he is one of my favorite all-time filmmakers. And you know, when you think about his films, they are very male focused. For sure, right? Yeah. I mean, when you think about Clockwork Orange, for instance, or Eyes Wide Shut, or you know, it's like there's a lot of very strong male characters, and the female yeah. characters are very Lolita. <laughs> secondary. Lolita. Um, and the female characters are kind of secondary in his in his films. Yeah. At the same time, a lot of his characters, period, are secondary in his films. I mean, yeah, like they're very like a, like for instance, like the opening scene where you meet like a Olman and then you know the manager and the various people in the office. Uh-huh. Like a, you compare that to the book, and they're very kind of lively personalities. And they're um, you know the the famous first sentence in the book is a vicious little prick, which is talking about. Ullman because he's a, a prick to Jack and there's this whole back and forth about him just not trusting Jack and he's basically this sort of asshole manager whereas in the movie because Stanley Kubrick is maybe a misanthrope <laughs> they're all basically just sort of drones uh, that mm. have no real apparent inner life they kind of spell off a dialogue in a very dry way and that's yeah. kind of very true throughout a lot of his movies like you know very famous like in 2001 they're all mm-hmm. just sort of like uh, you know like barely speaking their lines and that's intentional um, except for, of course, like Jack, who is, you know, I guess the hero. So, I mean, the, the main character in Stanley Kubrick films is his filmmaking. Right, I mean, right. that that's truly yeah. the main character, you know. And in The Shining's case, the hotel. Yeah. The Stanley Hotel is the oh, main yeah. character, yeah. you know, and yeah. all the other people are secondary to that. Yeah, and Jack Nicholson probably only escapes that because of, A, the nature of the character, and B, is Jack Nicholson. He probably just can't help but be a maniac on set. Um, but so I guess my point is part of Wendy being so subservient and not much of a, a good character per se is it's, it's a little bit just Stanley Kubrick period how he just treats his characters broadly but mm-hmm. I do also wonder about whether he just whether there may be just pure misogyny there because it's kind of hard to ignore 
uh, just how purely annoying she is throughout the movie. And not necessarily to the viewer, but to Jack. You know? Right. So, yeah. I wish we could talk to her. Like, we know what her experience was like making it. She's yeah. apparently lost it. Did you guys know that? Yeah. I, I've seen pictures of her. Well, she's on Dr. Phil. Did you see this? I Something. Yeah. What is what is this? Well, she's, she's on Dr. Phil, and she apparently was really out of it. And she was, like, literally asking for help. Oh, no. And he aired it, and he got a lot of flack about it. He's, he's taking it off his website and everything. Because, like, she clearly looked like she was having mental issues which, which sucks yeah yeah i mean she she was an interesting actress for that time yeah i, I you do wonder why he if they had such a bad kind of working <laughs> relationship and by all indications they did i'm talking about stanley kubrick and shelly Duvall. yeah and he really treated her terribly this is yeah well i mean there was also of, a little interview with her at that time after the movie came out and she said that he knew what he was doing and he did what he did to get me to do the performance that he wanted and I did it. And now looking back on it, she wasn't mad about it anymore. Now is that for the camera? I don't know. Yeah. And it, but it was interesting in that in that video, she's it says right after, she looks great. Her hair is like so nice, her makeup looks nice, she's dressed nice. So mm. I mean the, the her the way he wanted her to look is I mean it's obviously she he wants her to look like that for a reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so it's, and then I read that like, I was reading about how because um, I was thinking like how did Danny Lloyd the little boy in this movie film these scenes was Stanley Kubrick like terrifying him all the time and when I read an interview with him as an adult he was saying like no it was a great time Stanley Kubrick didn't let him see anything scary didn't tell him what he was reacting to he, he they went and played ball he made him a like a ten minute short version of the movie for Danny to watch. Oh, cute. Hmm. Yeah, so it's like, so he, well, looks back on it with fond memories. Interesting. Yeah, so it's very, because I was like really thinking like, oh, did he torment this kid? I would love to see the 10 minute short. Well, yeah. What is it? Just like the, the, the Is it like the an 80s sitcom, you know? <laughs> That's great. So anyway, I guess we'll just kind of go roughly chronologically through it. But I mean, uh, I think one of the, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, Stanley Kubrick, what his actual take on the movie is, because he's never really spoken much about it but Ooh. there's theories out there that he's not presenting a straight ahead horror movie that he, in a way he's just kind of commenting on horror movies uh, so while well, you have uh, a huge opening shot you know bright colors sort of majestic you know view through the mountains it's not really a typical kind of horror movie you know it's mm-hmm. very stately and uh no, i find it unsettling though yeah yeah and that's i the, feel like remember you fall off the mountain yeah it, it is but it's unsettling because of uh, i think the music, the music that yeah sort of kind yeah of that synthesizes against it but I remember when I first watched it, I, 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 and when I watched this, I had read the book. So I definitely had a, I was kind of expecting mm-hmm. at least some version of the book, which I mean, you definitely get. But when I first watched it at 13, I don't think, I'm surely I, I'd never seen a Stanley Kubrick movie before, but I remember being wildly disturbed just by those very things because it was so like a, almost sterile and like a clinical and it didn't feel like your normal horror movie, mm-hmm. which oddly makes it more unsettling. Like almost like anything can happen. There's not obvious shadows for things to hide in i mean uh, it's so vast and open and alone yeah you know and you're in that space he puts you in that space you know throughout the opening sequence and the whole movie i mean there's what three people in this giant hotel i mean it's gonna in the middle of the mountains i mean it's gonna be completely isolating feeling well and how do you get that job 
Like he was saying, like, you can highly recommended. Who recommended him? He was like a teacher. Yeah. So he, he didn't like him very kind much. Of a, kind of uh, a writer. Yeah. It's like, question. why would they think that he would be good at this job? I would love that job. Shelly Duvall was the one down there with the charts, checking the boilers and everything. Right. He just kind of sat around and. Yeah. Well, and, I think the idea is he just gave up at some point. <laughs> and she had to just take over. Maybe it maybe it is a feminist movie. We're going to try to put a feminist spin on every movie, aren't we? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I do think you can you can do that with this movie. I mean, there's the scene early on where. Uh, but she does save her child. Yeah. I mean, he's the one who's trying to destroy the family. Yeah. I mean, I guess as I get older, I want, I'm sure when I was, you know, a teenager, when I watched this, I probably didn't over-identify with Jack, you know, because he was so cool and oh, wasn't it cool that he's chasing his wife around with an axe, you know, how, <laughs> and now I watch it, I'm like, God, what an asshole. <laughs> like, you just kind of really see it from, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, from the get-go, and this, again, is very different from the book, and that's, from what I understand, one of Stephen King's main critiques of it. Is that from the get go? He has pretty much like a thinly veiled rage, specifically against Wendy. Oh yeah, wife. yeah. I mean, they, they they reference it. That means there's some great scenes. There, there's a lot of those sh- uh, like face shots. What were the movie we we're talking about? Oh, Sons of the Lambs. Yeah. Those like straight on face shots, which mm-hmm. he's talking to the I guess the doctor who came to the house. I didn't know they did that, but uh, and she's just telling her, yeah, at one time you know he got real, he had too much to drink yeah. and he hurt. You know, Danny's arm, but it's okay. Just mm-hmm. one of those things. The little Texas drawl she has. Right. Yeah. I mean, he connects easier and is more chit-chatty with the ghost bartender than he is with his own wife. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's much looser. I mean, we even have a scene on right now, you know, where he's talking to Lloyd. And, I mean, his mannerisms are different. And the way, you know, obviously he's starting to kind of crack. But he's, like, much more comfortable and open. And he's never like that with his own family. So it is interesting to kind of see that and I did not read the book it's on my bucket list to let's read, read it again together book. yeah let's I read, read it together. so long my grandmother read it and she still to this day says it's like uh one of the scariest yeah it's books she's ever read you know so I know it it lives up I would love to read club, it Julie you no know, we should do a book club oh, that would be so much fun a comic book club yeah with for like all the, all the uh dark material people yeah that would be fun that'd be really cool um, I know. I love I, and I love like reading books and especially anything by Stephen King. It's an interesting question though about the misogyny and just what that was like and how he's treating the. And it's the also, wife. I mean, this book was written when when did Stephen King write it? Uh, late seventies. I don't know the exact and, year, but and then so you know it's it's filmed in seventy eight, seventy nine. So yeah. I mean, it is still. Yeah, I mean, an interesting thought experiment is, like, could this movie be made today? Like, well, I mean, like, this exact movie with that treatment towards Wendy? I mean, I don't think so. I don't think mm. they could really get away with that. Not without, a you know, an avalanche of criticism anyway. Which I guess it gets anyway, but... <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Rowan is just, like, going to town down there. <laughs> <laughs> Rowan gets into cleaning mode. He's just, Rowan, that's inappropriate. Well, then, so they tell him at the last minute, oh, by the way... About 10 years ago, uh, this caretaker went crazy and murdered his family and murdered them with, this is, Chris, this is interesting because he murdered them with an axe and stacked them up. Do you remember in the witch episode when we talked about, I told you about the hinter k oh, murders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. He killed them with a pickaxe and then stacked them up in the barn. Um, also, for our listeners, their case file, which I know you hate when I plug other podcasts, but... Um, I don't hate it. <laughs> it's, they, not, it's not sure if it's in our best interest. But they yeah. just came out with <laughs> um, an episode about the hinter k murders. Okay. Riding our coattails, I guess. But um, Classic uh, witch episode. But there's a lot more information in there that I, I hadn't even found out, so that was really cool. 
Well, is there... I have a question. I've, yes. I've read different theories, you know, about The Shining. I didn't read the book, so I don't know if there's details in the book or not, but about that Jack was molesting his son and, like, a lot of the symbolism in the film is about is about that, like, seeing the bear and the oh. animal. Oh, well. And there's a scene where, you know, Danny goes into the room and Jack's kind of consoling him, uh-huh. but Danny's really uncomfortable with it. Yeah. So, I mean, you could do a quick Google search, but I thought that was interesting, and I, I never... I never even thought of that. Oh, you just broke Chris's yeah. brain. <laughs> I'm broken, yeah. Really? Yeah. I read a lot about it um, maybe about a year ago. I forget what I was watching. And that makes sense. I mean, I think you were thinking more as in, like, a, the dynamic of an abusive father. Yeah. And I think he is abusive, father. but, but yeah, I wonder that, how far that abuse went. Yeah. Because there's a lot of symbolism i think and uncomfortable scenes and you kind of wonder why they're done like that i wonder if they're gonna get any deeper into that in the doctor's sleep movie. right yeah i do wonder and again i don't know if like, it's how just does he think about his father now i don't know if it's just a fan theory or you know or what but it's um i don't know it definitely made me think well yeah i mean i guess it, i mean i think stephen king himself has said that the ultimate kind of theme of the movie or of the book rather is you know a child's fear of his own father you know one or the other so whether that leads to and i guess the movie in the book is physical abuse but that could easily lead to sexual abuse too so yeah. I, mean, I guess that, that that still fits within his the theme of the, the book so mm-hmm. i've never heard that that is fascinating to me but I, i'm thinking about that scene where like you said where danny goes and to see his dad and his it, jack kind of puts his arm around him yeah. and it's very it's awkward very and, uncomfortable um huh yeah, that's interesting. And then that weird sexual Seriously scene with the ani- <laughs> and with like the anim- people in animal suits, yes. like that whole right. thing. It's just you know, yeah. I, I I still don't know what that's about. I kind of think that's a bleed over from a, some material in the book that just didn't really make its way to the film completely. There is something like that in the book. Okay, so real quick, I want to tell you that both of my children's birth stories involve The Shining. So, of course they do. <laughs> so with my daughter, I, she was five weeks early and I had to go to the hospital. I was in there for about a week before. And I remember we bought we brought DVDs with us. We brought X-Files. <laughs> and I brought The Dark Knight. And I remember being in the hotel. Um, hotel. <laughs> in the hospital. And like Brian would have to leave, you know, obviously he had to go take care of the cats. He had to, you know, take care of things. And but The Shining came on like TBS and I was so happy. I remember watching The Shining in the hospital with my daughter and feeling very happy. And then with my son, I started going Mm -hmm. into labor at night and I could not sleep. Like I was getting contractions every five minutes or whatever and it hurt. But it wasn't enough to go to the hospital. Anyway, so then I went out on the couch and I started and I so I watched room 237 the documentary mm-hmm, mm-hmm. during my labor. So both, so, and then, but now I was telling Chris, like when I rewatched the shining, you can't help, but think about room 237. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, especially like in the certain scenes that they, they, they break down pretty hard. Um, and so we can kind of talk about that. We don't have to get too far into it because it gets really crazy, but some of the theories about, so that if you don't know the documentary room 237 is about the, conspiracy theories that kind of go behind The Shining and Stanley Kubrick and they're pretty out there. Yeah, they're pretty out there. I love that documentary too. I watched it alone, not with my my baby. But, <laughs> but it's... also when I was pregnant with Adam, I went to go see this just happened to be when Elise was in preschool, so I had time 
during the day. So when I was like eight months pregnant, I went and saw like The Conjuring and You're Next, and it was a great time. Um, also, that's probably why he likes scary stuff too. Yeah, I love it. I love that you were just absorbing yourself. Right? Everyone says like, relax, you meditate, and you're like, I want to see the scariest stuff possible. And I actually Googled like, can horror movies cause early labor? You know, I wanted to make sure that maybe for normal people, but not not for any of us. No, no. I want to give birth in a haunted house. That's what I should do. That'd be great. <laughs> but then, then they would think that you're just part of the attraction and then nobody would help you. And you're like, no, I need to get to the hospital. Help <laughs> me. Oh, that's an amazing, that's an amazing costume. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah, uh, I love that movie too. Um, I can't quite remember the um, the rocket ship theory, on you, but I do remember that movie does the Native American theory, right? Yes. Because that's, that's a theory I've read about before seeing the, the, okay. the movie. So I feel like I can talk about it okay. a little bit more. Um, but that's my favorite sort of theory about The Shining. I don't think it's true. And what but, is it? Well. Tell the listeners. The theory is that Stanley Kubrick in making the movie is is the whole point of it is his comment on uh, the genocide of the Native Americans in right. America. Which, okay. <laughs> um, but in support of that theory... Um, one of the main things is that the hotel is called the Overlook. This is a very weak principle, I think, because it was called the Overlook in the Stephen King novel, so okay. that can't be it. Okay. But the idea was that it's, you know, we overlooked this genocide. Um, but the, the main idea is that there's just so much Native American imagery in the movie. Um, so there's, for instance, uh, just walking through the hotel when you get a moment, there's uh, the... Yeah. Well, they mention it right out. Yeah. yeah. Like, Wendy says, are these, you know, indie designs authentic? And they're like, yes, they're Navajo. So that actually kind of undercuts the theory a little bit if they explicitly talk about it. Oh. Um, but... And, and Wendy has, like, never been out of the house, apparently. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love that. She was so excited. That's how I would be, too. These rooms are so beautiful. Yeah. She was, like, pumped to be there. Yeah. yeah. I actually liked her apartment in Boulder or wherever it was. That was a cute little apartment. Yeah. You know, anyway. I did, too. But uh, the wallpaper, there's a lot of Native American imagery in the wallpaper. There's the, the carpet pattern, famously. There's mm-hmm. tons of uh, just images on the walls of uh, portraits of all Native Americans. Um, my favorite thing is uh, in the freezer where... The, uh, oh, the pantry. Yeah, there's yeah. the... I had to write it down, but there's... Uh, it's baking soda. Yeah, but I still use that baking soda, and it still has that image on it. Yeah, and so it has an image of yeah. an Indian. And apparently, at, at one point, it's facing Jack. Right. Uh, and when he makes this contract with Grady to kill his wife and the kid, and then it's turned around oh, that's cool. later on. I never noticed to, that. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy theory. Uh, but it somehow <laughs> suggests that he's broken this, this contract. It's um, probably just some intern that accidentally turned the wrong way. Right, right. Now there's it, yeah, this whole like just theory a, about it's it. It's a continuity error for sure. But, but with Stanley Kubrick though and his attention to detail, I mean, yeah, who knows like what that symbolism was? Um, exactly. So because it's so overloaded with Native American imagery, you know, years ago, some I think I first read about just there's like a online article about it that someone had put together. You know, but long before social media, you had to go search it out. Uh, and he put together this whole theory. You can just Google Native Americans shining, I'm sure, and, and read it. it. It's presented, I think, much more cogently than it is in the, the movie, Room 237. And, it, of course, it's also on Native American burial ground, which Yeah, which Yeah, so we talked about the IGBs. Yeah. And we talked about that in the Pet cemetery. Indian burial ground. Indian burial ground. <laughs> okay, thanks. Well, you guys have short. <laughs> no, that, that's actually, you can Google IBG and there's a whole thing about it. I think I said IGB. I-B-G. Yeah, yeah. And so they did mention it briefly, though. They were like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be buried on an Indian burial ground. But then they make it pretty clear that it seems like it's haunted by 
the ghosts of whoever the Grady, the innkeeper who mm-hmm. murdered his family. So that doesn't really come into play. Not really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be both. Did they yeah. mention the Indian burial ground in the book? I can't remember. It, well, it, any it, of the it, listeners know? Send a send a yeah. message. If they do, it's definitely not. It's not like a major reason the hotel is like haunted or anything. It's haunted because of you know just all the bad things that happened there. Period. It's kind of the idea. The Micmac burial grounds were not haunted because of the Indians. <laughs> yeah, it don't was get because. Me started, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the scene on right now, Jack's literally standing in front of a tapestry that looks right. Yeah, See? kind of Native American. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever Look at really the symmetry of that shot. There, that yeah, and the yeah. symmetry, the co- the color red in this film is yeah. so beautiful. I think one of my absolute favorite. Scenes in the movie, not to detour, but oh, is ahead. the red bathroom when he yes. goes to the red bathroom. Yes. I was wondering that, if that's your, uh, your, why that, you got the red in the your apartment. You know what? Maybe subconsciously, yeah. that's why I've that like never color. thought about yeah. it. But that red, that's my yeah. favorite. Yes, red, and it's that's you're right. One it's of the, the red that the movie. stands out to me too. Yeah, it's just so. Oh my gosh, it's just it's like beautiful and eerie. That's I guess why I have so much red in my apartment. Looks great. But <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, you should stay oh. stay later, and you'll see blood coming out oh. of the doors. <laughs> well, I'm so good. again, why probably why Adam is the way he is is because I went to these movies with him. He the other day he wanted I been having a hard time with him and getting him to school, and it's been really hard. And so he wanted to wear he wore his new pumpkin shirt that his yaya made him. So he wanted to be all all Halloweeny, and so he found I was like, well, we don't have any Halloween pants, and he was like, well, how about these red ones? They're the color of blood. <laughs> You're like, that's my child. I've done well. I said, perfect. Did you go, my job here is done. <laughs> Push him out in the world. <laughs> You're ready for college. Oh, my gosh. So what are your favorite uh, theories, either from that movie or generally? Because I know there's a ton of them. Sure. Well, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that the Apollo shirt that Danny wears, doesn't that symbolize the conspiracy theory that Stanley Kubrick shot the landing on the moon yes. right right, right. Yes. that like you know that it's landing, like a conspiracy yeah. theory within a conspiracy theory yeah. and so him wearing the sweater was kind of a oh, nod this is where to we that need amber. conspiracy theory yeah. yeah our friend amber is very into conspiracies i bet she, she would is be, she would be really on this she's really be really honest and now me personally from a personal perspective i believe we truly landed on the moon i don't think it was you know a pbs um special no but i still think that you know, Stanley Kubrick, with his dark humor, maybe a bit of a nod to the conspiracy theory, you know, had Danny wear that, oh, that sweater. So, you're, so it was already conspiracy theory before this movie is what you're saying. And he was sort of nodding to it when he... Yeah, okay. but then other people look at it as like a clue. Like an admission. And an, yeah, yeah, a clue or admission to it. Oh, um, yeah, because that obviously would have been 69. 69, and this was made... Okay, Huh. So that that theory had already come out, right? Oh, okay. I didn't think I haven't seen the room two thirty seven yeah. since I was in labor, so I don't remember <laughs> the details. But yeah, that's crazy. If I remember the room two three seven theory, is that he actually made the movie as almost like an admission specifically yeah, for that reason, right. which is a pretty. Obs- <laughs> can you imagine going to Warner Brothers? I need some. I needed sixty million dollars. I want to make this movie just to apologize for the. <laughs> <laughs> we never landed on the moon. Yeah. I need to make this movie because I feel so guilty. I don't yeah. think Stanley Kubrick was that kind of person. Right. <laughs> That is a fun theory, though. Um, it is a fun theory. And the sweater that Danny wears is so cute, actually. I think, um, I don't want to give any spoiler alerts, but I think Kristen may wear it at some point. I was thinking about it, but then I was thinking I want to be Shelley Duvall. <laughs> um, so I, I almost ordered a black wig. I could get the shirt. You could be Shelley Duvall, and I could wear the, the sweatshirt. That would be fun. Yeah, Because I, I just, I just want to go out and just be like, ah! 
<laughs> just like wave my hands around like this. Can I come out on a tricycle? <laughs> yes, I have a little Who tiny a tricycle. One. Do you have one that well, I can roll out on? It's not a tricycle though. It won't work. Hmm. We'll have to find one. All right, listeners. <laughs> we need a tricycle for October twenty fourth. Who's in? Those scenes of Danny on the tricycle, that just was like bliss to me. If I oh, could that's do that. what he said. That, again, with that, with that interview I read with him, he was saying like, it was so much fun to be able to just ride a tricycle indoors. And he's like, he had a blast doing it. Yeah. He said I, his dad just kind of signed him up. Didn't think he'd get it. He kind of felt like he won the lottery. He went through it. It was like a year. It was supposed to be a lot shorter. And of course, Stanley Kubrick dragged oh, it out. Oh, there's the bathroom. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, look at the symmetry, the lighting, the color. It's just, that. it's perfect. It's perfection. It just, it looks like blood and, oh, it's just so cool. I love this, this whole scene right here. And so, about, you know, the tricycle part, I mean, what really stood out to me in that scene is the sound. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, the, the tricycle on the carpet versus yes. the hardwood. You didn't yeah. have that sound. You know, there, you know, Stanley Kubrick purposely puts no music there. I yes. mean, just that sound alone. You can feel it. It yes. is so awesome. And it's just one of my favorite scenes in any film. Yeah, oh. that's interesting because it's almost like gives you mem- like sense memory of you know writing yes. that when you're a kid, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh, I give him chills. Oh, so since I'm talking about like being a kid, can we talk about um, Tony? Yes. Danny's imaginary friend. Um, so, did you guys have imaginary friends? Do you remember? I did. Yeah. Yeah. He famously, my parents tell me that I abandoned him on the way to Atlanta one, one day. <laughs> We were, <laughs> That's so mean. We were on a car trip, and I, I told him that uh, my I can't remember what his name was, but I told him that he's. They asked me about him. And I said, "Oh, I just threw him out the window." <laughs> Riss. <laughs> but, but people say, and I think they even say in The Shining, and maybe it's in the book that when ki- ki- kids at some point, if they have imaginary friends, they there's a mechanism where they learn to. I don't know, get over that. And there's usually some sort of trauma that happens to the imaginary friend. So I really? was just, yeah. com- I was just comporting yeah. to that. I still have imaginary friends. Oh my friends. gosh, so. that happened to Adam then. Oh, really? I never thought about that. Well, so he had an imaginary friend named Ghosty. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Talker. Uh, yes. So Ghosty would come around and, and he was honestly a bad friend because he'd always be like, he, Adam would always be like, Ghosty's supposed to come over today. And we would wait and Ghosty never came. <laughs> and then one day, Ghosty got hit by a car and died. Oh my gosh. Oh man. Yeah. That's an intense story, but but not surprising. But then also he said that Ghosty was a boy who followed a crow into the woods. This is so my son. Okay. Ghosty was a boy who followed a crow into a wood in the woods and then he died and then he became Ghosty and then Ghosty got hit by a car and died again. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. He had a whole origin story. That's awesome. And he like made the ghost die. Yeah. At least kind of had imaginary friends. Like she would say it. she had like skeleton friends and fruit friends. I don't really remember, but it wasn't as, <laughs> it wasn't as concrete as Adam's. Mm-hmm. Oh, I still have imaginary friends. Is that oh, weird? Oh, God. Oh, no. Um, as you slowly back away. <laughs> um, my imaginary friends were, their names were Annie and Mock. And Annie, I was as a kid, I was obsessed with the movie Annie. Aww. So I think as a kid, I created an imaginary friend that looked like Annie. And her name is Annie. Mm-hmm. Very creative. And then Mock was, ironically, a Native American boy. And I think it came, My this is my guesswork, is that it came f- from Atreyu from A Neverending Story. Oh, just yeah. like oh, that cool, look. Yeah. And I never thought about it till now, ever. And I'm actually wondering if the name Mock came from Moccasin. 
are you racist? <laughs> yeah. You're a little racist kid. I was a racist kid. I would have got along with Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> uh, oh my god, doing all these Native American crazy. tropes. But yeah, looking back, I'm like, his name was Mock. That's so odd. And now I'm like, oh, Moccasin. I don't remember having an imaginary friend. I don't think I was. I don't didn't have the imagination. I don't remember anything about it. I just, oh. I, 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 I couldn't tell you what he, what function he served, or whether he was good or bad or friendly. But it, mm-hmm. I just kind of know the story, and I. Have a, well, your I, sister was older or younger? She's older. Okay, and your sister's older. Yeah. And your brother's older. Yeah. I was in the middle. I wonder mm-hmm. if it's because I was surrounded by my younger sister and my older brother. I didn't have an imaginary friend like yeah. you think you, didn't you have guys were the age. youngest what's adam's older he's the youngest i mean he's oh yeah he's younger so i don't know maybe younger siblings like have a need to have a f- extra friend because maybe their know. older siblings are just hmm. off doing their own thing i don't know but mine, but I, mine would just kind of like watch tv with me just kind of <laughs> hang out that's good <laughs> but julie and i have kind of talked about ghosts and things like that and how i'm a skeptic you're a skeptic too chris you know, we're kind of in the same boat. Julie, I think, is more open. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of thing with kids. It's like kids can see these ghosts or these spirits. It's like, well, no, it's because their brains are developing. They they have these coping mechanisms that they have to, you know, do. And so that's what I think kind of – we don't have to get into all that right now. But that would be interesting. We should have you on again for like a – just a ghost. Yeah. I love your podcast. I want to be on all the time. I, <laughs> we're going to think of so many reasons. But, yeah, like I love um, – I mean, ever since I was a kid, you know, I've always been such a storyteller. It's just my person. It's just my personality. I've written since I was a little kid. Um, I made movies as a little kid with our camcorder. Oh, me too. Yeah. So I love stories. So I don't know. I think I've always been open to the idea. Not that you're not, you know, a storyteller or anything like that, but maybe, you know, fiction on fiction. Maybe I just was like, so I don't know, just kind of open to the idea, like, I don't want to see a ghost, and I've never seen a ghost, but I believe that there's spirits. And we should, we should also do, like, a ghost hunter thing. Mm-hmm. We should go into a house that or whatever. That was our idea. And, yeah. Our original idea was to do the podcast in a haunted space, yeah. which is something we should do. That'd be awesome, yeah. Um, well, I mean, that does kind of uh, lead into um, one of my points. Uh, so... Most of the supernatural stuff in the movie is from Jack's point of view. For like nine, 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 well, Danny too, but Danny already has like a the Shining period. Right. So there's you know another theory out there that is that is the hotel even haunted? I'm talking about just, just in their minds. Yeah, I'm talking about just the movie. I mean, the book is clearly haunted because oh, okay. it's, <laughs> um, yeah. it's Stephen King. But yeah, you know, there's some theories out there that you know everything that's happening up to a point is just in Jack's mind, and then just through rage and alcohol withdrawal and and well, and sometimes drunkenness, but um, do y'all have a take on well, that? Well, but or? I mean, he can't actually, there's not actually alcohol there. So, yeah, true, yeah. I mean, that is all either in his mind or the ghost was able to bring yeah. it to him. But even even then, he never really acts particularly drunk. He just always acts particularly crazy. So, oh, well, But even the first scene, he's smiling a little weird. I mean, he's, yeah. he's you know. So it, it could be that everything that's presented on screen as far as like supernatural stuff uh, is in his head and that you know that's i would kind of wonder that's kind of kind of reminds me of our witch episode too do you like movie yeah. the witch i have seen the movie the witch okay. yeah because we were kind of talking about that too about how maybe it's all in their heads yeah but and then at the end when wendy finally sees um like you know the sort of oh, skeletons right. but you know that could be the what do you call it the fellow oh, your favorite f- phrase f- <laughs> f- 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 yeah Ooh, what's the, that word 
It means the madness of two. Mm. And it's been like it's a real psychological issue that happens when one person goes crazy and the other person kind of goes along with it. Interesting. Because she's been pushed to a breaking point at the end. So the fact that she would suddenly begin seeing all this crazy stuff. Maybe it's the ergot. I always forget. That's this thing that grew, a a certain mold that grew on corn. (laughs) There's no corn this meeting. And so it would call even though there's Native American drones. Oh, Oh, damn. What? It it would cause hallucinations genetic effects on on people oh. so that's what one of the theories behind the witch trials is that like this this uh rot was growing on the corn and then they ate the corn and then it caused these crazy. hallucinations yeah, yeah. kind of like um people that made lead right in yes. their in their hats yes. at the yes. time and they, and so the, the mad hatter the, the mad hatter yeah they would wear hats yeah. and they went crazy yeah. or lithium yes too um oh yeah oh it, that, that kind of comes up in a shit town s town you know, the painting. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. That's one of the reasons totally. he supposedly yes. goes crazy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's, I am really intrigued, though, with the question of whether it's all on his head or it's actually happening. And I feel like, um, so my mom's a therapist and my sister's a therapist. And my grandma was a social worker. My girlfriend's a social worker. So I'm obviously attracted to people that like to deal with, like, mental, emotional, you know, issues. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of questions around whether a lot of horror films are a play on mental illness, right? The haunting of Hill House. You know, a huge theme in that whole show was whether they were mentally, the family was mentally ill mm-hmm. and seeing everything or whether there were truly ghosts in the house. I find that really intriguing. And I think it's a, you know, whether filmmakers intend it or not, I think that mental illness isn't really talked about. And so I think it's an interesting way to kind of talk about mental illness. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think Jack's really... I think it's two part. I think he's crazy, and I think there's actually some weird, some weird shit going down. Yeah, I mean certainly Danny definitely has some sort of psychic gift, but that I mean, seems and to Danny be. Danny re- sees the twins. Yeah, but that, yeah, that's true. But well, he yeah, seems- and then Shelley sees them, and then when um, I mean also. But when Wendy we, sees we, them, we haven't talked about Holloran yet. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. a whole other can of worms <laughs> you right have there. The shining. Yeah. Okay, so we haven't really talked about the uh, the other main character, uh, you know, Dick Halloran. Uh, and so this leads into our next question. Uh, I guess the first main question was, is, is Stanley Kubrick misogynist? So now is Stanley Kubrick racist? <laughs> right. <laughs> this will be fun. Right. So We um, cover a lot of really light themes on this right. podcast. We try we try not to, but we just can't avoid them. Yeah. Right. But it's, I mean, yeah, it's good to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, my answer is I don't, I don't think so. I think, um, but there's also, there's a, a lot of very obvious Racial imagery in the movie for like sure. Like the pictures of the women in his apartment. In his apartment. For, for sake of, yeah, just for sake of argument. The two very large uh, women with huge afros that are naked. Uh, yes. Literally symmetrically opposite each other. What? What is? I mean, really, what is the purpose of him putting those there? Stanley Kubrick or yes. Dick Halloran? <laughs> I, I I think it's to comment on the blackness of this character. That's right. Crazy. And, and this also kind of goes back in my kind of earlier thinking, like. In the book, uh, you know, Dick Halloran is also black, and I think Stephen King, in the in the book, makes a big point about uh, maybe a I can't quite remember, but he has a sort of a tragic um, backstory. A lot of it involves you know racism. Uh, he even, he actually shows up in the book of It too, um, oh. and uh, so my thinking is that is 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 this another example of Steve, uh, Stanley Kubrick? Uh, it's kind of weird they both have S K names, but Stanley Kubrick. Uh, kind of commenting on Stephen King's material, like sort of okay. In Stephen King's book, he makes a comment about him having this sort of black character, or maybe he's a little bit precious about it. 
And Stanley Kubrick is like doubling oh down. Oh my on gosh! The- you think Stanley Kubrick could do that? Wait, what were you saying about it? I, I missed that. In the in the book, uh, Dick Halloran shows up uh, in one of those sort of flashbacks. Uh, oh, okay. There's, so uh, there's a crossover. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. a crossover. Yeah, there's a, a fire in the past of Derry at a African American nightclub or like a dance hall where they all most of them die. Uh, in fact, there was rumor that was going to be in it part two, and they they didn't do that anyway. Um, and Dick Callan shows up and, and saves several of them because he had The Shining and, and was able to predict oh, it. Oh, right? interesting. Um, so it was just sort of a flashback type thing. Um, but anyway, in the book, his, his blackness is kind of very much a part of his character. And, and, and people um, actually think Stephen King can be racist a little bit because he, he, can't ha- he cannot have a black character in his books without very much having that black, ter- black character suffer extreme racism. And, oh, right, uh, this right. Or, you know, um, and... and, and his critics have a bit of a point on that. You know, think of like Mother Abigail on the stand, for instance. She's, you know, has this very tragic, uh, he just can't have a normal African American character just kind of going through another day like the white characters he do experience. Although, you know, admittedly terrible things happen to all of his characters. <laughs> right. Everybody, Clowns, yeah, everybody right. does have a hard time. Yeah. But, but the black characters is always linked to their blackness. And, you know, so it's in the sense that it's racist, you know, it just means that he's maybe incapable of writing that without sort of going there. So, I, mean, I bet it's similar to what we're kind of talking about with the with the any queer character that we were talking about right. like kind of in like yeah. Silence of the Lambs or yeah and so that's kind of in that same sort of thing maybe I mean it's not excusable because of the time period or anything right. but I guess that's what he was trying to go for yeah so I guess uh, your question was why did he put those images there and the paintings and, and I, my only working theory is that he just sort of kind of gently poking fun at Stephen King's own material and this is maybe another example why Stephen King doesn't like that movie because maybe he oh. gets all that. He's like, okay, he's just making fun of me at this point, you know. Oh my gosh. Um, or or the my other kind of working theory is that he's just kind of making fun of the genre a little bit, you know, because mm-hmm. black people famously suffer in horror movies. And so he's sort of just opening the ante a little bit. The black character does not die in the book. In the movie, he gets an axe through the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like Stanley, K- Stanley Kubrick just sort of doubling down on all this and just mm-hmm. making it so obvious. Right. And slightly uncomfortable. Right, right. And it's just sort of like you deal with it. <laughs> Audience. And, you know, it was made in 1980. So, not to talk too much about, oh, things being excusable for the time, but, you know, you're coming right out of the 70s, you know, and I think that that 70s were, I mean, I'll say up front, I'm not an African American person, so I'm not trying to speak on their behalf, but. You know, it seems like that was a time of black exploitation and like a lot of those types of films were being made, you know, yeah. and uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe it was kind of piggybacking off of that time in the 70s where a lot of that was happening. You know, Stanley Kubrick is so intentional in every single thing he does that there's just sure. no way that that wasn't that the two images of the naked black woman on his wall was not 100 percent on his mind and purposeful and to be looked at and pointed out and for you to be to be thought about. So you just kind of wonder what exactly he's going after. Well, if you guys hold on real quick, I have Stanley Kubrick on the line. Okay. Great. <laughs> he's here to answer all grave. of our questions. I don't think, he, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think he's ever really spoken at length about The Shining or what he was kind of going after. Mm-hmm. Um, Not that maybe, I've seen. Maybe he doesn't do that, period. You know, he kind of leaves it up to the audiences. Um or it could be that he had a quirky art designer on set that day who just thought that would be a good, a good look. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt, I mean, I remember as a kid watching The Shining, and when I saw the scene of him in his in his bedroom with those two paintings, it almost felt to me like Kubrick was commenting on 
his loneliness almost like he's this grown man who's all alone yeah. in this room. There's something very sad about it. And there's something really sad about that scene with those two paintings next to him of these naked black women. Almost like it made him kind of human. Like he's a, you know, he's a man with sexual desires, right? And he has like these two paintings of these naked women next to him. And they're artful, you know, yeah. it's not, there's nothing like pornographic about them, but like it kind of just felt lonely to me. It did seem very intimate. Like, you yeah. were, I was like, oh, we're seeing inside his little apartment. He's in Definitely. bed. Um, we thought we were just going to see him up at the inn, and now we're seeing, like, he's very vulnerable here, and he's going to go and try to save this family now, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, though, yeah, supposedly Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick had a great working relationship during the filming of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick would famously call Stephen King right. late at night and ask him his thoughts about, like, life and death and whether he believed in ghosts and the afterlife and all the sort of themes of the movie and... And then Stephen King got a lot out of that and was kind of, you know, probably flattered. And then when he saw the movie, he's like, what did he, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So I think it was any other filmmaker. Stephen King usually doesn't care when people change his movies. They always do. And usually they're terrible. And he, he was a younger writer. So maybe he just wasn't used to it at that point. Right. He might have been a lot more, uh, I mean, you have egos involved. And he might have been a lot more attached to his work at that time. Yeah. And I think that work in particular was very personal to him because he based it on him staying at a certain hotel and he was an alcoholic at the time and it's about a writer yeah and supposedly he was having you know not good thoughts about his family and he just mm-hmm. put all that in the book and then so yeah i mean if i guess if all the books to be sort of to his point of view just sort of taken apart and uh, maybe that would be the one that he would maybe like don't do that mm-hmm. <laughs> um it may be that you're right though he was just very young at the time do y'all have any takes on Heller or is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I like how he's kind of an ally to, yeah. um, especially to Danny, who maybe didn't quite understand what was going on in his head or why he could, was we don't, there's not, not really, besides Tony, there's not really anything that seems off about this little boy or, I mean, the fact that his dad tells him about the Donner party driving up to their, for their vacation, how they <laughs> ate each other. But, um, <laughs> He just seems like a normal little boy, and then you kind of see that he maybe has a little relief knowing that this guy yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I'm not crazy, or I, someone else has this, and he understands me. And then he ends up being, I mean, the hero. He comes in and helps them. Yeah, the scene where he's, you know, axed is still, like, completely, I mean, it shocks me every time, even though I always know it's coming. But I always oh, forget, yeah, yeah. like, which pillar he's behind exactly. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's just the longest shot in history when he's, like, you know, walking down the hallway and... I think it's scarier when you even know that it's coming somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great scene. I mean, I'm sad he gets axed in the heart, but yeah. Can we say that Shelley? Du- there's no way Shelley Duvall could drag anything <laughs> to the freezer, let alone. Yeah, this scene's not right now where Shelley Duvall's dragging <laughs> Jack into the freezer, and she's she like, a, drag she's like a, yeah, she's like a an asparagus. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> she's olive oil. She is. She's truly like that character, just in a horror film. Um, yeah. I think mean, yeah, I mean, always looked at it, like two two kind of outcasts coming together, you know, him and Danny kind of coming together and helping each other. You know, it's almost like it gave him some purpose. I think to yeah. have this little boy there that he was able. Oh yeah, to yeah. Help. Maybe and, he'd been going through a long time, like you said, being alone, yeah, not having anybody, and yeah. all of a sudden he finds this reason. And it's rare to meet someone else with a shining, so yeah. he mm-hmm. probably identified with that. Interesting, in the Doctor Sleep, you know, he meets a young yes. African-American girl. I literally just about to say that. Okay. Yeah. 
and oh, and, yeah. and says that he has the shine or what he calls the shining. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't think and the book. It may just not be commented on, but I don't think in the book she's explicitly African American. Should I read Doctor Sleep or should I just wait for the movie? I'll just watch the movie. I think it's a really good book, but I mean, if you haven't read The Shining, or no, you have read The Shining. I have read The yeah. Shining. It was a long time ago. I, I'd rather read The Shining again, honestly. Yeah. My impression is the movie's going to be more a sequel to the movie version than the book version. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so I don't think it really matters if you read. The- oh yeah, because like we were talking about how he, um, Mike Flanagan, your boy. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know he directed Honey Hill House mm-hmm. and how he took actual scenes from the movie or reshot them too. Yeah, I still know how he did that and put them into the movie. So yeah, it's definitely really a sequel to. So we're talking kind of. I think we talked about that in another episode. Like how is Stephen King going to feel about this? Yeah. It's a sequel to the movie that he like famously did not like. Well, he already tweeted that he saw it and he said it's wonderful. Okay, yeah. and he's getting so much money now. I mean, <laughs> he probably man does not care. Um, uh, did you guys see Ready Player One? Yes, by yeah, chance yeah. in the scene where they oh, go into I, the shining yeah, yeah. and it's what? like virtual reality it's like yeah. you're you're in the shining it is the most wonderful thing ever have it's you seen it? so no. cool i mean you can it's like you're standing like on the famous carpet yeah. and oh. it's so cool so for like any geeks out there you know i'm i'm such a geek too and i read the book ready player one and it's a it's a different um movie in the book what well, movie is in the book it's um, it's the Matthew Broderick one where he's a hacker. What's oh, old, yeah. old movie? War Games. War Games. Yeah. yeah. War, games. War Games. War Games is That's the book. Fun. And then The Shining's the film. And so it's like you're in The Shining. And it's like so cool. Yeah. That's I, so cool. I've seen that movie twice. And somehow the second time I saw it, I completely forgot about that whole sequence. And I was just delighted. Oh. When I, I was like, oh, yes, this thing exists. Hey, Chris, how about that hereditary scene? Whenever he looks down into the maze... It's like the model oh, of the maze. Yeah, yeah, very, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, and I, then I think, he looks down into the maze, which is just like seeing the shining. Yeah, I mean, Ari Oster said has said that The Shining is one of his favorite movies. So there's, I mean, well, there's you no and way. Ari Oster are best friends. I well, know. I wish. Yeah, we are. <laughs> well, so it's interesting you mentioned uh, Hereditary because the movie is kind of paced a little bit like that as well. Like it has a very slow kind of build, even the way the camera moves, and then by the time you get to the ending, you know, the sort of last twenty minutes or so, everything's moving. Yeah, you know, the camera's moving faster. There's, uh, it's definitely. I think I would guess that Ari Oster probably structured his movie a little bit on that same kind of vibe pace. Yeah, that's a good point. I noticed about forty five minutes in is when Jack first kind of tells off Shelley Duvall is yeah. is a complete asshole. But there's those scenes like in Hereditary or like The Witch that kind of happen between before the shit goes crazy. You know. Yeah, and I, I, you know, just to get back to the my my sort of feminist take on it, I think there's a version of this movie where you can watch it, and Shelley Duvall is the absolute hero of the story if you watch it a certain way, and you know the movie, uh, kind of in a way, you know, Jack is pretty pitiful, right? I mean, you can, I mean, he kind of yeah, he's a mess. He skates by because of Jack Nicholson. He's like this sort of cult hero now, you know, with the t-shirts and the posters, and yeah, you know, here's yeah. Johnny, that type here's of thing. Here's Johnny, yeah. yeah. which I, again, totally bought into <laughs> when I was 20. You would, yeah, that's totally a poster you would have I when you were 20. I probably did, to be honest with you. Um, and I say that now, and I was thinking just the other day about dressing up as Jack Torrance for Halloween, so I still had a little bit of that in me. But I mean, I, I, my guess is that the movie is, is a little bit... Don't do that in your new neighborhood. Oh, they would love it. Um, no, I'd be kicked out. But the, I do think that Kubrick is a little bit making making fun of that type a little bit. You know, I, I've never noticed this before. I don't know if this is an error, but you know, the, the famous um, All Work and No Play makes mm-hmm. Jack a dull boy. Yeah. When, she's, when Wendy is rattling through the pages, there's one page um, 
and I think it's in the middle of the page, you can see it where it says, instead of all work, no play makes Jack a dull boy, it says adult boy. And so you see adult boy. Hmm. Just one adult or is it adult just one the sentence page? or the whole page? I just saw like it that. in one sentence and it just goes by and like, you know, and so I thought, oh, okay, that's probably maybe just a typo. Maybe. But again, Have you Googled it? No. I, 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 I do I, like how he plays with his... I mean, he's totally saying the same thing over and over again, but he's doing it in all different formats. He's yeah. very creative with this, isn't yeah, that? That, that, that part's kind of hilarious. Yeah. yeah, that's the creepiest part when you see like the, the block yes. stanzas. And, yeah. <laughs> he's working very hard. Yeah, he's like creating different patterns. Because like, what does he see when he looks at those words? But I think he kind of knows because he, he seems amused by it when he's going after Wendy. But yeah, so he's an adult child. He's a man child. Mm. And so uh, my ultimate take on it is that, you know, okay, so from Jack's point of view, like the whole movie in a way is about, you know, his fears of him uh, losing his uh, being emasculated, right? Being a bad yeah. parent, being a bad husband. He has all these lines about his duties and responsibilities, like to his work and to to these vague superiors. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's like kind of like this takedown of this sort of this this man, you know. Like you know, so, there's sort of I think there's a sort of feminist read there that could be yeah. I mean, she saves him at the end. I mean, well, she's still alive. He's not. We've done no. some true crime. I don't know if we've done a story exactly like this, but there's so many stories of what they call, they have to have a whole term for it, family annihilators, who is the male of the family who murders their entire family and then usually murders themselves or sometimes tries to get away with it in the case of the Watts. I don't know if you guys follow them. Um, it's, it's awful. So in this case, yeah, she got away, you know, and he ended up freezing to death by himself. So that is a different story than it usually is. Yeah. And you know, by the end of the movie, even though she's sort of weeping through the whole thing and still presented a little bit, I don't know, weakly. I hate to use that word, but that's just how he shoots it. But she's but still... how else would you act if your husband started going crazy and you started seeing um, skeletons? Right. But there's, I mean, it's ridiculous in this. You have to admit. <laughs> it's over the top. Yeah. It's over the top. But she, still, the top. she definitely has agency, even though, even like laughing as she's, you know, like, sort of dragging him into the, the freezer and kind of weeping and snot everywhere. She's still taking, you know, she's doing that. She's not, you know, just hiding in some corner somewhere. Well, so how um, do you guys think that Jack Nicholson's performance has aged over the years? So we have talked about, recently we talked about Hannibal Lecter and Anthony Hopkins' uh, performance and how we thought it seemed a bit dated. But then we also watched American Psycho, which is not nearly as long ago, but, but we thought that that really held up. Like Christian Bale really still delivered a great performance so what do you guys think about jack nicholson as jack torrance to me it's held up i think the whole film has held up i mean I thought so too you still have you know those masculine tropes that you're talking about right you yeah. know like i need to take care of my my family and my work and my duty and i come first before my family's needs so of course that is a little outdated now and some of the themes between him and wendy right with her just being kind of like she's an interesting character because she's kind of a weakling but then she's strong at the same time so it's sort of confusing um but i think i think it's held up i think the film's held up i think i think his character's held up as just you know uh someone crazy and egotistical and i'm a writer so maybe i relate to him a little bit i mean maybe it is like his toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. gone wild Mm -hmm. and she's (laughs) able to control it. I mean, she did, she pushed, like we were just watching her, she pushed her son out of a window yeah. mm-hmm. to to have him survive. It's very similar to Frozen. I don't know if you... Yeah. I love Frozen. She's okay? watching Frozen like three times a day. <laughs> Wait, the Disney movie Frozen? 
Yes, to get out, they they slide down out of the window. They slide down through the town. I don't remember that scene. I mean, I love Disney, and I've seen the movie, but... I love Frozen, and my daughter is doesn't like princesses and things like that, and she doesn't care for Frozen. She finds the plot holes in it, and, um, and I'm like, can we please watch Frozen? I love it. But yeah, I mean, well, she she's doing what she needs to do, and she she hits her husband in the head with a bat. Yeah, I mean, a lot of women would try to calm him down or try to apologize for him, mm-hmm. but she hits him in the head with a bat, and she takes his knife. And you know, I don't know. I think that she's pretty awesome. She locks him up. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think this is a perfect film in every way, and all these things I say, I just think make it more interesting because I think it's all intentional for sure. Like when I say it's racist, I mean that in the like pure sense of the word it is commenting on race not right. that it's maliciously racist or that type of thing mm-hmm. um but uh so nicholson that, that I, yeah i think it's perfect i think he's great there was a probably a while where i thought maybe comparing to the book where i thought it was too over the top but because i think that's like the point of it um i mean i just think it's perfect i did see an interview with jack nicholson one day and maybe just like the behind the scenes thing the shining where someone was asking about his performance in that movie and why it was so maybe I think they use the word just not realistic or something, which, I mean, that's kind of silly <laughs> with the subject matter. But he just said, yeah, you know, me and Stanley Kubrick talked about it. And I, I think I mentioned that, like, well, maybe we should play this a little bit more straight. And, and Stanley just said, yeah, but is that interesting? <laughs> and then, so they just mm-hmm. chose that path. And, hmm. um, and so I think he's perfect in it. And I don't always like Jack Nicholson. I think maybe because of he just, you know, he seems like maybe a bit of a creep sometimes. But, yeah, like uh, in The Departed. Even though he's good in The Departed, but yeah, I did see a watch Terms of Endearment recently, which oh man, yeah, I would was, still be crying. Yeah, it was movie. wonderful. He's really good in that. Um, I so, like Jack Nicholson. I mean, he plays a lot of the same characters. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. I don't. I can't. I mean, you, you can see the Joker for sure in this, for sure in yeah. this character, but yeah, that so, was a lot later. So. I wonder, did he get nominated for any Oscars for this or no. Brazzies? <laughs> no, not they, there was no nominations. Crazy, yeah. yeah. That's pretty crazy because it is such a good movie. And I wonder if it's just like a fine wine. It ages well over time. Or, yeah, I think you know, so. I'm curious what people thought at the time. And and do you remember the, like, was it 97 or 98 Shining miniseries that came out with Stephen Weber? Oh, Wings? do I remember yeah. it? Yes. Not you. I know you do. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. remember it. Like I do my 1991 it, yeah. but I mean I did, I did watch it. It didn't do much for me. Well, I just remember there were things in the book that I found very creepy that wasn't in this movie, that were was in the miniseries. Mm. Um, like what? What I want to ruin for you? We're gonna watch. We're gonna read the book together. Okay, we'll read the book together, okay. and, yeah. then, and, then and then we'll we can have talk a, about it. We'll talk about the book. We'll talk about Doctor Sleep. Yeah, I will. I'll, I liked the miniseries quite a bit when it came out, but that that is something that is genuinely dated now. I think I watched it a few years ago and. Because it does rely a lot on special effects, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but some of it, like, I thought Stephen Webber was pretty good in it. Oh, really? Um, I love Rebecca De Mornay as Wendy. Okay. Mostly because I love Rebecca De Mornay. Uh, <laughs> oh, can we do the Hand That Rocks the Cradle? Yes. Oh, that is I'm interesting. Like, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Like, it's my oh, podcast. my gosh. Yeah. I loved that yeah. movie. I watch that movie all the time. I used to watch that as a kid and all the time. And when I was just... <laughs> Me why too. Am I so fucked yeah. up? But, yeah. So, I think I think secretly I had a crush on her, looking back. I mean, yeah. totally. Um. I watched it again recently, and I was like, "How did I watch this? Like, I didn't. I don't think I got any of the. I mean, there's like stuff theme, about the, like, like he, she tries to pin sexual molestation on the gardener yeah, member, which, and I guess when I was a kid, I was like, "Oh, that seems mean." Like, I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like, oh, that's pump her own boobs. What? Yeah, he. I guess he wants her panties. That's strange. Like, <laughs> yeah. And now you're like, this is really. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I would be all in for that movie because that's that's oh. a great that's a great movie. And I wonder if 
Red Rum is something, you know, like when you see a comic, Julie, and you're like, damn, why did I think of that joke? Yeah. Like, that was right there. I wonder if, like, Red Rum was something that a lot of horror novelists or people were like, why didn't I think about that? Why didn't I think of this? It's so good. Every time it's very scary. Is there a rum brand out there called Red Rum? Because if not, we need to create that Oh my gosh, let's start fermenting. I'm trademarking it right now. I think I've seen something like Uh, that. But I don't know. (laughs) We edit that part because I don't know. We're going to Google it. Okay, so do we have any final thoughts on The Shining? Um, well, I think I just said it was a perfect movie, <laughs> um, and it is. It holds up. I mean, and I think it's easily the greatest, um, one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Um, I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. It just sort of towers over everything else in that genre. I don't know what else you can really say about it. I just, I, I mean, I think that just in the movies, we've done about 25 movies or so. And in a lot of the movies, we have reference to Shining. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's its a testament to how good it is and how scary it is that we haven't really talked about what scared us in it because it's so freaking obvious. Like, you know, like... Oh, right. The twins. Yeah. We usually have to go, like, oh, which was the scariest part? And we don't, we haven't touched that because, like, why bother? Like, obviously, mm-hmm. it's every moment of the movie. Right. Obviously, obviously uh, it's the twins. Yeah. Saying to come play with us. Obviously, it's the elevator full of blood. Yeah. I will say that... I love Lloyd. I mean, to me, yeah. Lloyd's like really scary because he's so subtle yeah. you know and the um the butler yes you know, whenever he's, when he's like, the, again the, the, the conversation in the, bathroom. in the bathroom i think is one of the scariest scenes of the film and he's like well yeah so i did kill my family yeah, yeah. what he's about just, it? like he's just wipe like just subtly wiping yeah you know wiping his clothes i mean yeah it's just i mean that stuff's to me subtle scary to me is scarier than just like crazy jump scares for some reason something that scared me when I watched it uh, this week, that's never really I noticed before was when, uh, or scared me before really, was when uh, after Danny sees the two dead girls, you know, uh, the the Grady twins. Mm-hmm. Well, that's usually the big scary part. But what scared me this time, in addition to that, <laughs> was how Tony copes with it, which is by talking to Tony. And so when Tony tells him, you know, it's all just a uh, his books in a what was it his pages in a book. Oh yeah, said, yeah. That really creeped me out because like. Maybe that's not Danny doing that. Maybe it really is. Like, a, uh, it, it just bothered me. Like, I mean, maybe it's. I mean, maybe maybe it's Holloran though telling him. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, but Tony is seems to be a little bit malevolent, right? Yeah. I mean, in the yeah in the movie in the book, there's this whole explanation for it, which it's it's not really as fun. But yeah. And anyway, it just my point is that every time you see it, you kind of get something new out of it, even if it's something. Do you think Danny left Tony behind after he left the hotel? Threw him out the car window. <laughs> <laughs> or he got hit by a car. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would think so. Um, well, I guess uh, you and McGregor will tell us. Yes. I was, yeah, I was wondering if, if Tony shows up at all in, in Dr. Sleep. Oh, that'd oh. be so great if you and right. McGregor was just I was like, like, still right, guys. There's a little boy that lives in my tummy. <laughs> I mean, Dan- Danny's voice alone, though, when he does. Oh, I know. The red does, rum does the character and yeah. then does, um, you know, the red rum. I mean, it's. I think it's meant to be malevolent. Like, there's something. Yeah. And, and that's actually, I think, that ties yeah, back to. Yeah, he's telling a murder. That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that actually ties back to that, that theory about the molestation was that Danny created this character as kind of like, you know, how kids can do that. They can create these imaginary characters to help them that's function. That's in Haunting in Hill House, too. Yeah, help them function yeah. with um, with trauma. So, I don't know. I mean, again, theory, but interesting one. I will say that the way Tony warns Danny is very efficient. 
uh, and it's, it's it's smart. Like you know, we've talked about how like in Pet Cemetery, like the new <laughs> one, how like Victor Pascal yeah, can't talking to the baby. Like, what's yeah. that going to do? <laughs> or like in Crimson Peak, the sort of super obtuse clues. It's like okay, just thanks for that poem that you told me but what am i supposed to do with this whereas here he's like okay elevators fill with blood don't go there like just images to the five-year-old understand bad bad you know dead girls and and so it's as far as supernatural warnings go they're they're pretty efficient and you know Mm -hmm. i think yeah yeah well done was the maze was this maze scene that we're watching in the book no, was it a, there he, was in the book. There was a uh, what was it? Topiary animals. Topiary um, animals. Interesting. And, so and does he die frozen? No, it's completely different. Uh, we'll find out. We'll find out. I know. Yeah. I have so many questions. Yeah. Um, I think it's a perfect movie. I mean, this movie. You know, growing up, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and I really think that this movie is one of the reasons why I want to become a filmmaker. I just, like I said, I love Stanley Kubrick. I love that he can dip into different genres. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't stick to one genre. Do you have a favorite Kubrick movie? I mean, you don't have to, uh, but I mean, probably The Shining. Honestly, probably it's, me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a perfect movie the way it's filmed, the acting, the directing, the cinematography is amazing, and kind of the icing on the cake. It's it's also scary. Yeah, you know, and it still holds up. Oh, it's a great yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's watch it. <laughs> I know we're just watching it right now. So as usual, I'm you know nervous to ask, but do you have a, a true crime that you want to tell us about that's at all related to this movie? Or? Oh my gosh, I do. Okay, so it's not probably what you guys are going to be thinking. It's again, we don't do true crimes that are specifically the same thing that happened or anything, but it's a uh, to me, I saw it and I was like, this is crazy, and they got crazier and crazier, so that'd be fun. Okay, sounds good. Okay, go for it. So this is the winter of 1990. What were we all doing? Uh, watching It. I don't know. <laughs> that was 91. Oh, was it? Okay. <laughs> Anticipating It. Right. We were waiting for it to come out. Right. We'd seen the commercials. <laughs> <laughs> so the Tide family went to their Utah cabin for Christmas. Sounds nice, right? The cabin was two miles off the road. The only way to get to the cabin in the winter was to use a snowmobile. Mm. Hmm. Mm. Their cabin was decorated for Christmas. They had presents under the tree. So 20-year-old Lene and her mom, Kay Tidwell-Teed, and Grandma Beth Tidwell-Potts go to the cabin first. When Lene gets into the home, she sees a flash run by, like somebody running by. And she thinks at first, oh, it's her cousins. And they've come early, and she's, like, excited. She's going to scare them. But uh, then a man steps out from behind the refrigerator with wild hair and Coke bottle glasses and points a gun at her. Then another man comes out of the bedroom and points a a gun at her mom, Kay. So they tell the men, all right, take what you want. This is a robbery. Go ahead and take what you want. Go ahead and get out of here. Have our snowmobile. But instead, they start shooting their guns. Gunfires go, uh, guns go off. Lene sees her mom get shot and fall. She sees her grandma get shot in the head. So I'm obviously she's thinking like, what the fuck is going on? This can't be real. And how old is she? She is 20. Okay. And she, all she is thinking is that my dad and my sister are going to be here any second. They're like right behind us. So she knows her dad, Rolf, and her 16-year-old sister, Trish, will be there in just a few minutes. She said she could hear the snowmobiles coming. Just similar how like how Jack Torrance heard mm-hmm. uh, Halloran coming, you know. 
So the man with glasses puts his arm around Lene's neck and points the gun on her back and walks her outside to meet uh, the new people coming. So Trish and her dad get off the snowmobiles, and one of the men jumps out of the garage in a ski mask and tells him to come inside. Then the other man comes out, still holding Lene, and tells their dad, Rolf, to give them all their money. And so this is in the 90s, so I assume you would have cash. Because nowadays, what would you do? I have no cash on me. No. Here, I'd be like, here's $1. Yeah. I have some change. Is there a receipt from CVS? Yes. I have some pressed pennies from the zoo. I can go with you and do Apple Pay. Yes. Do you Venmo? (laughs) You Venmo. So the guy, like, throws, I mean, the dad throws whatever he has in his pockets at him. But um, the man with the glasses who's holding Lene tells the other guy to shoot the dad. But he, like, he refuses. So... The guy holding Lene pulls his gun and shoots the dad. A quote from Lene. So I got a lot of this information from a uh, 48 hours. and um, But it's actually an interview with the sisters. And again, they're, they're just like Shelley Duvall. They are 100 times stronger than I am. But when Lene says, it doesn't make any sense to me. I had no idea what was happening or why. I mean, you couldn't fathom this as it's happening. Especially around Christmas time, you're on your cabin. It's secluded. Um, so apparently the men had been living in their cabin. They had eaten their food. Ugh. They'd opened their Christmas presents. They'd been hanging out there waiting for them to come back because they needed to get a ride back. They couldn't get back by, by themselves. And their plan was to burn the house down. So they had gas cans ready. They poured gas all over the cabin and lit it on fire. They kidnapped the girls and forced the girls to drive the snowmobiles. They had to drive the snowmobiles. One of them each had a snowmobile with a with the guy on the back. Ugh. And they had to drive them. Uh, Trish said that she thought about, like, trying to wreck the snowmobile. But then she thought, like, then I'll have to leave my sister. I can't do that. So she just, they just kept driving. As they get up to the gate of their house, they noticed their Uncle Randy. And their uncle said that he saw their nieces and he was like, hey, but they didn't wait. At first, his first thought was, oh, they got boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Um, that she broke my heart, mm-hmm. you know. But then, he, but then they didn't wait back. So he was like, okay, that must not have been my nieces. This is just a weird coincidence. But then the men pull up to where the road is, I guess. And so the family cars parked there and the men get out. And so Randy follows them and he's like, okay, those are my nieces. And he, so they put the girls in the back of the car. They get in the front. And this was creepy, too. One of the guys shows Trish a knife and says, don't worry. I am just as good with a knife as I am a gun. Yeah, it's horrible. It's awful. So they put the girls in the back seat. But their uncle sees them. And he, like, um, bangs on the front of the car and says, like, stop. But the girls, to protect their uncle, act they don't know him. Oh, my gosh. So heartbreaking. So they essentially save his life because they were like, "That's my uncle." They yell out, "They need help!" They're probably gonna kill him. I wonder at what point the uncle realized what they were doing. Well, you'll find out. Oh, right now. So the so they drive out. Randy's freaking out. At the same time, another snowmobile comes driving up from the cabin. The guy has on no helmet and no gloves, no coat, and Randy's like, "What the heck is going on?" He pulls up, and it's his brother. It's their dad who has been shot. Oh, my God. Who is coming up, and he says, and this is a quote from him. He said, I've been shot, my wife has been killed, and my daughters have been kidnapped. Wow. He has oh blood God. all over his face. He's been shot in the head. 
Randy starts driving. He throws Rolf in the back of his car, and he's trying to call 911, but the service won't connect. Then he comes up behind the car that his nieces are in. And he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know if he should drive them off the road or should she just follow them. So he calls 911, and he gets 911, and he tells them, we need a helicopter. He tells them where they are, and then the phone dies. Oh, my gosh. This is true. Wait, actually while, he's on, while he's in the snowmobile? He's in a car. So they made it up to the road. Oh, okay. I was like, I guess in 1990, people don't have cell phones, really. On no, not really. Especially not service. Yeah. So it's lucky that he had a cell phone. But yeah. probably they had a cell phone because they were maybe out. Out, Like, they probably had one of those giant cell phones yes. for emergencies only. Yeah. So, but then he gets the phone working again. He calls them again. And he starts just starts yelling, we need a helicopter. We need cops here. And so the car with the girls in it is going like 90 miles an hour. And a police officer luckily sees them and turns around and starts following them. But then there's a high-speed chase. And the car with the girls in it, the men drive off an embankment into the snow. Oh, my gosh. And when the girls are like, what's going on? And they look up and there's they're surrounded by police officers with shooting, like pointing guns at them. And they're just amazed that people got there so fast because they're in the middle of nowhere. And they weren't sure, like, if they knew that they were hostages or what's right. going on. So, and this is another quote from them from that CBS um, 48 Hours. I couldn't watch it, but you can read the transcript. So I'll put the link up. And they said, Lene said, we both ducked and we were praying and just squeezing each other's hand. We've always had a connection, even as little children, a special connection where we can feel each other. She's always been a great comfort to me. Aww. Yeah. They're kind of like the Shining Twins. They are. <laughs> <laughs> but so they lived. Yes. Okay, good. Because they're telling their story. Right. I, I, it just occurs to me that you're telling a kind of a happy true crime. I it, mean, it, it, family is, it, it is definitely a survival story. Yeah. Probably the same story that, you know, Shelley Duvall and Danny would have told. Wendy and Danny would have told, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they wouldn't get out of it without. You won't believe what happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> but so the men surrendered to the cops. They actually turned themselves over pretty pretty quickly but i liked how like lene when the men have the when the cops have the men at gunpoint she's yelling at them just kill them just kill them they killed my mom they killed my dad they killed my grandma kill them so she's pissed Mm -hmm. but the helicopter comes takes rolf to the hospital he had been shot doused in gasoline and lit on fire he got up got into the shower put the fire out Got onto a snowmobile. Wow! And drove down to oh he essentially God. saved his daughters. Yeah. Because Randy wouldn't have figured out what was going on. He may have called nine one one, but we don't really know. But once Rolf showed up, he was like, "Let him know what was happening." So the police are investigating the crime scene. Beth and Kay are dead. That's the grandma and the mom. Mm-hmm. Rolf is in intensive care. Okay, it's gonna get creepier. Are you guys ready? So ready. <laughs> So the police find a videotape and a video camera and they, they try to get all this stuff out because that the, the some of the cabin's still on fire. So they're actually trying to get some of the stuff out for the people too while they're trying to put the fire out. And but later when they find the video, they play the video thinking that's gonna be family pictures. And it's the suspects opening their Christmas presents. Ah, Whoa. That's so creepy. The suspects film themselves opening their Christmas presents, like excited. They're excited Ugh. about getting these new football cards or whatever was in the presents. They had hitchhiked. This kind of reminds me of In Cold Blood, too. Like these two guys 
we're just kind of like going around just doing bad things there's really no reason for it you know so they had no like larger goal they were just happened upon this cabin and well they were going to the different cabins and they were robbing them but then they got to this cabin and their whole goal was they waited there they were like they like lived there yeah they lose they use the term laying in wait which just sounds so creepy so they were waiting and they knew they were coming so they i think their whole plan was to maybe i mean it goes it's kind of like also with in cold blood you're like you're not sure who was the word there's there's somebody there was maybe the pusher Mm-hmm. Or maybe not. Maybe they're both evil. They were both evil, but um, this is the case with these two guys too, which we'll talk about them a little bit, but not too much because they're you know pieces of shit. But it seems like maybe one of them maybe pushed the other more. Maybe one of them wasn't thinking about murder. The other one was, which is kind of like how it was in cold in cold blood. Or like a Klebold Harris type thing. Where yeah, you have one sort of yeah one one leader and one follower. Yeah, but so they were hitchhiking around. They were. Um, robbing these cabins but then at one point I guess they couldn't get anywhere so they kind of waited there knowing his family would come back so that way they could take their snowmobiles and get out so the guys were Vaughn Taylor and Ed Deli those are not real names I don't know how those are real names yeah like they are those Ed Deli yes <laughs> like is he a, a Jewish deli owner in New York in Brooklyn that's amazing so these two guys are in their early 20s. They had sent, spent some time in a Utah penitentiary. Taylor was in for burglary. Deli was in for Larson. So they were charged with the murders, arson, aggravated assault, high-speed chase. I mean, there are like 10 different misdemeanors and felonies. Taylor pled guilty to the murders. And so he all the other charges were dropped. And he was given the death penalty. He's still appealing this, though. Like, mm-hmm. today, he's still appealing. So they're still in prison? Yes. But Delhi had a jury trial, which meant that the family had to testify. So mm-hmm. Rolf, the dad, survived. Wow. And he was able to testify against them. That is and incredible. They did not know that he was alive until he came into the courtroom. Wow. That's crazy. Which is similar to our Manson episode, yeah. where Manson had shot this guy long time ago thought he died and um Vincent Bugliosi, or something yeah yeah was able to find this guy as a witness and bring him in and charles Manson had no idea he was alive that's cool i love that surprise to testify that. against him imagine but, what that feels like for the survivor to like walk in there like i survived you, you yeah know? well but, but then again it's like it sucks because like the other guy took a plea deal so there was no trial but the other guy pled not guilty so they had to do a trial so that means that they had to do interrogations and they had to go and you know be they don't really have to do that mm-hmm. um but 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 somehow this guy got charged with second degree murder which the family was upset about but apparently it was because the jury had one juror who was holding out he wouldn't vote guilty mm-hmm. so they just went ahead and decided well we'll just give him second degree murder and that way we won't have a hung jury and the family doesn't have to go through this again. Yeah. Who was that guy? I don't know. Let's find him. I don't know. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of a joke. He was not a deli. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bodega. I don't know. <laughs> uh, in 2001, Deli sent Lene a letter from prison. She said she never wrote him back. She said it never felt right. Which I can see that. Like you feel like you want to forgive but you just have to be in that right position. And another quote from her is, she said, I do not believe Edward Deli has a place outside of prison. 
But when it comes to a place of forgiveness, I felt a tremendous burden, relief off my shoulders. I felt free. Which that too, I don't know how people do that. Yeah. They forgive the people that take away their family. Yeah. Strong person. I mean, I'm glad they do that, but not for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I push the button or whatever you, I have to do? Can I be in the firing squad? I don't know. But Lene is married with four kids and five stepkids. And that all too, like imagine all that life he would have snuffed out mm-hmm. if, if Lene had not survived. And that's just like for all of these murders and all of the family annihilators who not only kill their families, but their families' families. Anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's such a waste because it's, it's never a good reason. It's just... Yeah. It's, it's, it's just so Usually sad. because they ran out of money or they yeah. want to be with another person. It's just ridiculous. Do they say, you know, it sounded like originally they were just hanging out of this cabin doing riffraff. When did it turn into like, let's murder these people? I mean, as soon as they walked in, the one guy started firing. Oh, that's so, so crazy. So that was what's hard too. So, with so the it was case. almost like pre-planned, it sounds like. Yeah. That's hard with the case too, especially if there's two people. You think it's easy. Well, we, fought, we caught them. We know. But they have to decide exactly who gets charged with what. Mm-hmm. And that was hard to decide because I think they were saying that the other was making them do it and stuff like that. Yeah. But this actually does have more of a happier ending than a lot of the stories I tell, like where everybody is Yeah, and I was like dreading where you were going with this. I mean, it was bad <laughs> enough. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's terrible. But but I they mean, rebuilt the cabin. Yeah. I mean, that's not the <laughs> that's not the greatest thing, but they, they survived. Yeah. They rebuilt the cabin and they still go there for holidays. And wow. They, it's kind of like, um, so we, I told Julie recently about how someone killed themselves in my house and you were so shocked. Yes. As, As was, was I. <laughs> I was like, but but I've known Chris for like twenty years. Yeah, and I, told I was him more this. shocked that he just hadn't come up before. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, did you sage this place? You live you live there, and so and that, then I was like, did you get a good deal on it at least? <laughs> and so that kind of made me think of this. It's like they rebuilt it and they they brought all this new love into the yeah. house and they made it a happy place again. Because what are the chances that's going to happen again? Yeah, um, and I did like your take on that. You know, your you and your family are rebuilding. You know, just a home full of love and new life. Yeah. You know? Um, but the story actually has a lot in common with The Shining, right? It's just the location, the snowy atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Survivors. Survivors. Um, and then Trish is the other daughter, uh, the other sister, and she has two little girls, too. Another quote from her is, she says, I love my life now and wouldn't say that the incident in 1990 defines me, but I would say it's helped me make me who I am today. So it'll be interesting to see, like... <laughs> How you and McGregor in the in the uh, trailer? It doesn't seem like he's dealing with all this stuff very well. Yeah, but oh, I can tell you from reading the book that yeah, no, he's not. Okay, <laughs> so we'll see. They, they seem to go through this, and they they came out as better people. Kind of like also interesting in um, when they see us. Did you see that documentary, Julie? Yes. Okay, and how these as they were boys at the time went through all this and somehow came out as better men. Yeah. And you see that there's so many examples of that that we kind of ignore because it's more interesting when they come out bad or, mm-hmm. you know, and that. But there's so many where people go through these hard things and they come out um, stronger, even though I would rather them not have to have gone through that. Also, so Kay, who was their mom, her sister Claudia was kind of there for Lene and Trish, but she also wrote a book about it, mm-hmm. which I, I always feel weird about that. Her sister was murdered, too. So I get that. But the tagline of the book was um, life-changing lessons I learned, dot, 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 from murder. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just kind of like, hmm. 
That sounds like a really bad children's book that you'd find in like the it's library. Just kind of go, mm, okay. There's also a 2019 movie that came out called Utah Cabin Murders. Oh, like come on, that's not the, very original, right? These as a writer, these titles are so uncreative. And the trailer looked very bad. It was very fictionalized version. But why would you even need to fictionalize this? It's crazy as it right. is. Tell yeah, us like, as a good you don't need story. To make up anything here. It was like a straight to video streaming so. thing and it looked very much like they're trying to do the strangers like with the spooky masks uh, and yeah. like mm. kind of like funny games kind of thing um but yeah they probably had to make more of a story out of it in a sense because it, it does it sounds like a lot happened in the situation very quickly yeah so how do we draw this out into a you know 90 minutes yes that's yeah. what, the, what the girls talked about that said, how- I'm, it's kind of surprising it hasn't been made into movie before i mean like that's a pretty I'm compelling i hadn't heard about it yeah I mean, the, the dad driving, the, you know, taking a shower, you know, driving after his own killer. I, I mean, mean, just that visual. Yeah. You know, how's that not already crazy? A, How do you, I mean, at what point do you just like give up and go and lay with your wife, you know? And, but no, he's like, nope. And he, and, and then he survived and then he died later of cancer, but they were there with him, you yeah. know? And mm. it was I mean, people are so special. strong, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's why, do you, do you watch the show I Survived? I've watched it, yeah. Oh, I love that show. Well, my mom says that as a therapist. You know, you'd yeah. be amazed like what people go through and what people what people survive. It gives me hope, you know. Well, so like, they, like they're, they're so much unbelievable too. Yeah, there's so much negativity in the world, and I feel like you know, hearing these stories of survival. I mean, look, Jack Nicholson froze to death. I mean, how boring is that when this guy like freaking <laughs> was set on fire and shot in the head and still took a shower? I don't like taking a shower when I'm hungover. <laughs> And he's doing it with a bullet in his head. I mean, I know. Pretty, pretty wild. So that is that is that is a, a cheerful more... true crime story. That was, that was a happy. We ended on a happy true crime. <laughs> That's the first no. one I've done. Chris is very surprised. No. Usually he's like, "Okay, can we drink some more?" <laughs> <laughs> Usually, yeah. You, no, I mean, you've had some. They're always good, but some of them are more hard for me to hear than others. And right. that one was not hard to hear, except for the first ten minutes when I was very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Julie, thank you so much yes. for yeah. being on our podcast. Oh, I loved it. I love hanging out with you guys today. It was so much fun. Yeah. And uh, I love what y'all are doing. And I love supporting that. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Excellent guest. Yes. Um, this is so much fun. And we'll have you back on again for sure. Yes. Yay. Well, we're doing uh, It and It Part 2 for sure. I'm yeah. committing I'll, that on the record. So. I'll ride a snowmobile to the interview. <laughs> right. If it ever gets below 92 here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the pavement. I'll be like hot and sweaty. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And let us know if you have any of your own theories or what you think about the theories that we put out or the ones that came out in room 237. Yeah. God, and those filmmakers, they hear our show. They're <laughs> and uh, everybody bombard Chris on Twitter about joining our facebook group well no just just talk to me on twitter oh. that's, that's good enough right okay. i mean i'm on right, social sure. media i'm just right. on facebook okay all right well thank you guys so much and bye good night bye